You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Welcome to the 602 Club, Trek FM's local watering hole. We are so excited to be here. We are coming at you from, well, I guess what used to be Kamiji and now is just a nice asteroid belt, um, but there's still a bar mm-hmm. here, so we're really excited to be here. And it's, uh, as we're recording this uh, in 2019, this is the last episode for the year, and we're going out with a bang as we will be talking about the final Skywalker movie in the Star Wars series, and I can honestly say, long have I waited, because I have been waiting so much to talk about this, uh, so many things that I have, I've just got to get off my chest with this. I'm really excited, though, because, of course, with me as she is almost every single week, Christy Morris. Yes, I'm back, and I, man, I am with you. This is the first time I've really gotten to sit down and talk to you about how the both of us feel about this movie. Yes. And which we up. don't actually really know that much. Like I know you, I think I know you liked it, but that's about it. Yeah, right. So yeah. we're gonna really get down into detail, which is exciting. And, um, you know, if we're talking about Star Wars, it usually means that this gentleman is sitting a- across from us through great distances. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the one and only appearing by hologram, Bruce Gibson. You know, I had shaved a month ago, but then when this movie was coming out, I grew a beard because I wanted to be a Jedi again. Nice. So you, uh, could, you could have the Hamill look. That's right. I, I can have the Hamill attitude. I, I beg to differ. I beg to differ. You are Palpatine. You do the best voice I've ever heard. Oh. Well, besides Ian McDermott. Well, then I'll, I'll <laughs> save that for the end. Don't tell Sam Whitworth yeah. that. <laughs> Well, we, uh, again, we're super excited to be here. We have so much to talk about. So just a quick couple of reminders. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Of course, Apple Podcasts, give us a star rating review. Please do that. It makes a huge difference for, uh, you know, whether people find us or not. Follow us on Twitter at TrekFM. We're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. And then, of course, we've got our listeners-only discussion group called the Babel Conference housed there on Facebook where you can also find us. Uh, And, uh, you know, a huge thing. We want to say, uh, and again, it's another great year here on the 602 Club. And I want to thank um, our associate producers, Ken Tripp, Daisy. David Grayson, Ryan Millette, and Daniel Noah for joining us uh, each and every week uh, as associate producers here through Patreon. We appreciate their support, and there's no way we could do this without their help. Um, the network needs you as well. So join them in supporting the network each and every week over on Patreon at patreon.com slash trekfm. You can become part of our team. Uh, honestly, every little bit helps every month. We've got some great contribution levels, though. But this is an expensive enterprise. Bruce knows that with uh, what we do here. We've got so many podcasts coming out. So if you like what we do, make it maybe a New Year's resolution. Join our team. Uh, again, that's patreon.com slash trekfm. So you guys, leaving the theater, maybe even just your first initial reactions. What were you thinking as you left the theater uh, with this final Skywalker saga movie? I was speechless. I mean, 
I feel like that's a cheesy thing to say, but it was true because there were so many things that I did not expect that I did not get spoiled for, thank goodness, um, because I stayed away from Twitter. And and some things that we learned that we've never seen before in our Star Wars movies. So I yeah, I was I was blown away. So I, I'd be dying to know if the two of you felt the same or, or had some different Opinions. I couldn't be speechless because when I came out of the screening, we did a first reaction podcast for the oh. Star Wars report. So I had to talk. But um, no, but regardless, it's kind of weird because when I went to see The Force Awakens, I didn't know really quite what to expect because we're relaunching Star Wars. And that I did come out speechless. Like, okay, what did I just see? Where are we going with this? What is this new Star Wars all about? And with each movie that's come out since, I can process it. I'm more comfortable watching it. So I came out of this and I felt really good. I felt excited. I thought there was a lot there. If anything, it was more of a, I can't wait to watch this again because there's a lot going on and I want to make sure I captured it all. And all of the little things in the background. Yeah. And I'm still, ha- I've seen it three times and I'm sure I still haven't caught anything because just today I learned there's a Bothan at the end of the, ep- of, of the movie. And I, st- I was like, wait, what? There's a Bothan? Like, how did I miss? And I probably did see it, but I didn't register it was a Bothan. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I remember. Uh, so just r- a random thing that popped out to me, the fourth viewing was uh, Cinda Nathano, who's the Crimson Corsair from The Force Awakens, you know, the, the pirate mm-hmm. that. Finn's going to go off yeah. with with the cool helmet. He's in the background in the shots at the very end of the movie when they're all celebrating. Uh, see, He's yeah, there. I didn't notice that. Yeah. So <laughs> things like that. that. Yeah. I'll say this, you know, because I think I, it'll preface everything else um, that the the lens that the, the movie kind of comes from in. And honestly, any criticisms that I have of the film. Um, and, I, and I mentioned something similar on Aggressive Negotiations when John Mills and I were talking. He couldn't be here, uh, if anybody's wondering. Uh, he's on vacation. Uh, he's he's cruising around the Caribbean, so you know, kind of hard oh. to to get a Wi-Fi signal out there. Um, but and he's on vacation, so why would you want to? So to me, I liked the movie, and 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 I I was able to say that like right away, like straight. You know, with the Force Awakens, it took like six viewings for kind of come to some kind of resolution with that movie. Um, you know, The Last Jedi has, has I've, I've never really warmed up to The Last Jedi. I, I haven't warmed up to The Last Jedi. Um, and, but this movie, I, I immediately responded to and I liked. And, and, um, but at the same time, I will say, you know, that, that anything that for me, it was also a representation of, I think, of all the things that are maybe be done wrong in this, in the, in the sequel trilogy. You know, um, I, I think you can tell. With this movie, uh, the sequel trilogy, it, it, it what it needed is it needed a consistent director, it needed a consistent story, uh, and it needed more time. And if all of those things had been done, I think that uh, when I, I I could say I could watch The Force Awakens and I could watch this, and it feels very consistent with each other for the most part, and it because it feels like it's done by the same person with the same ideas flowing through it and everything, and. Um, you know, honestly, I think the only thing that I could really say, I feel like this movie could have been more, more like three hours and it would have been actually better served because I feel like there's so much packed into this movie. I honestly just feel like it maybe needs more time to really give us everything. Yeah, some of because there's rushed. a lot of. Yeah, 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 absolutely. There, and there are a lot of stories that I think 
even little side stories like with Lando, um, you know, if you're reading the visual guide and stuff, there are stories that were happening there for him, you know. And I think the one thing that, you know, we, I said all the way back at the beginning of The Force Awakens when we talked about that film, like, is is J.J., he just won't let things rest. There are only a few scenes where things really rest in this movie. Uh, and there are a few scenes where people are just like able to have a moment and I think those are the moments where things really shine and we just needed some more of that in this film. So uh, just saying all of that, I think that's, you know, that's how I was kind of feeling even the first time I saw the movie. But, you know, seeing it four times at this point and, and I've got more showings in my future. But that that's kind of where I really came to was like, I, I think this movie is endemic of the problems of the sequel trilogy. But I think that I would say I feel like for the most part JJ did the best he could with what he had to work with uh, and and you know him and Terrio really came up with a story that worked for me so I agree with that for sure yeah that he, he did a great job for what he had to work with and, and the position he was in and trying to wrap all this up but that it was mm-hmm. part of my first reactions when I came out is I remember saying that this should be uh it felt like it could have been two movies he could have really easily split yes. into two yes. yeah like a part yeah. one and part two. Yes. I'm glad you brought that up too, Matt, about the um, just needing to take a beat on certain things at certain moments. Because if you look at this compared to The Mandalorian, there's great um, moments where Favreau and Filoni decided to just focus on the background and um, on, on taking a beat and really diving into a moment to give it more weight and I feel like that is something that you see a lot in JJ's work outside of Star Wars and then also in this movie that everything is so jam-packed from this scene to this scene to that scene that there there are rarely moments where he pauses and puts the more emphasis on certain parts. And, and he also spends yeah, a I lot mean, of time like weaving, you know, it's like he wants to surprise you, he wants to tease you, he wants to, you know, fan serve you in some respects. There were times where I was watching this where I thought, well, let me just say this. Afterwards, I thought, this kind of reminds me of Star Trek Into Darkness because there were things where I left that movie, I was like, wow, I feel like he was trying to cram so much in and do all these like callbacks to other things that are sometimes a little too much, and I felt like he was doing that with this. That's my my one criticism of this film. Uh, it doesn't bother me as much anymore, but the first time I watched it, I felt like he was trying a little too hard like you're saying, you're naming all these characters in the background, which is great, but it's like I felt like that was the whole movie. It's like, oh, I'm going to do something that's like a callback to this movie or something similar to this, but then I'm going to twist it, and then I'm going to turn this, but then I'm going to go back to this, and I'm going to tease. Yeah, it gets a little too showy sometimes for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I think even just those first few scenes, you know, um, that was a, that's on Mustafar, and, you know, it, it's supposed to be uh, in the ruins of Vader's castle which I think would have been much neater to make that connection all the way back to like Rogue One and stuff, you know, to, to really use that. Um, and instead they really cut that down to just the barest minimum. And those are just moments where I feel like you just could have allowed those scenes to kind of breathe a little bit more. Um, I will say, though, on the other side of this, I feel like 
um, in some ways, JJ kind of got back a little bit to the swashbuckling feel of the original films, but but even mm-hmm. the the prequel trilogy too. Like in the prequel trilogy, we're hopping all over the place. You know, I think of like uh, episode one. You know, we we start on you know the, the Naboo, and then we hop to Tatooine, and then we're back to Coruscant, and then we hop to back to Naboo. You know, right? And, and the 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 uh, Attack of the Clones, we're hopping all over the place, following different stories. You know, and so, um, mm-hmm. and but this one, we were doing that, but r- really, um, I think you know we just kind of the the thing I left the feeling with was we finally got a chance to spend time with the characters mm-hmm. together, and you know. Um, I think maybe that's just why I wanted more movie because I just wanted to spend more time with these characters because we set everybody up in The Force Awakens. We barely get to spend time with anybody together in the second movie that, mm-hmm. you know, we really knew uh, as a group. And then this third movie, like, we're really all together as a group, and I just wanted to spend more time with the characters. Like, I just, you know, like, that's the other feeling I came out with. I, I You know, that that's just where I, like... Oh, I I loved all the time we got to spend together, and, and I just kind of wanted them to have even more time together. So, yeah, um, I, I would say that on, then on a whole, kind of where we are is we're. It seems like we're all pretty positive, which is is great, you know. Which I think that's the other relief I came out with was relief. Like, thank God yes. that I don't hate this. <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I think there was a lot of possibility for that to happen. I think we were all going into it worried because we knew that they were promoting this as the end of the Skywalker saga. And, you know, this is the ninth film. Um, We had a lot riding on this to be wrapped up for one movie. And so it, it was really worrisome as a fan of all of them to see how they were possibly going to be able to tie up so many open ends. But I was really really impressed well what's funny about it is when i left the meet uh not the meeting i'm so many i'm so used to being in meetings <laughs> all the time but when i left the movie uh mm-hmm. you know i know that i liked it but i had no idea if other people were going to like it and it wasn't long after that that christy your husband michael texted me and he he asked me he's like am i gonna like it i was like i have no idea because something I like doesn't mean that somebody else is going to like it. But thankfully, like I've gone right. online, I've seen more positive than negative. I've seen people out there that I thought were actually going to love it that don't, which is really surprising to me. Um, and then the critics, I thought, are a little harsher than I would have put it. But I agree with a lot of things that they say, but I, it doesn't bother me and it doesn't take away from the movie. So, um, yeah, I'm relieved. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I no, really. I mean, and and I totally said that, uh, and I'll I'll say it here because I I think people need to kind of know where I'm coming from. Um, I I think I'm probably being a little bit more generous to the movie than maybe I should, but that's just where I'm coming from. You know, like I liked it enough, and and every viewing I've found ways to like continually fit this into the saga, so it feels better and better to me. And and I'll, I so just just hear me on that. that that that's my bias. That's where I'm coming from. The fact that I I didn't hate this movie, that I liked it in the first viewing. It's just continued to be something that I've continued to like more and more as I've seen it. But the but it's also been, and I think this is the thing. If I leave the theater 
where I'm continually thinking about a movie, and especially a Star Wars movie, right? If I'm continually thinking about it and how it like challenges my preconceptions about Star Wars in a good way and makes me kind of rethink some things, like there's some things we'll get into in, in just a few minutes where I'm like, it it's really opened up a whole new world of kind of cool Star Wars-ness, which to me, again, if I leave with that feeling from a Star Wars film, that's a good thing, right? Yeah, some you yeah. know, I, I think any movie we most movies we see, we're like, oh, you know what, I might have done this differently. And there, believe me, there's definitely some places where I'll I'll, I'll point some criticism where I think if you had just changed a few little things, it would have made the movie like at least ten times better. Um, but you know, I came away with that feeling as a fan and and just as a, a movie lover. And, you know, so that, there's my bias right up front so everybody knows where I'm coming from. Um, you know, so, yeah, that's – I, I can't complain if that's happening. Yeah, I mean, I like a little extra cheese on my cheeseburger and some people don't. So, <laughs> you know, I could get something yeah. say, yeah. my criticism, there wasn't enough cheese, but whatever. <laughs> so yeah. – there's so many like big things to get into. So we're just going to dive into some of the biggest things right away. Um, and we're just going to keep on nailing them throughout the entire podcast because that's all we've got really to talk about with this. So, Ray, we finally get Ray's answers uh, in this movie. And so I just wanted to open up the floor as we kind of start talking about her. Does it work for you? The answers that we finally get about Ray, her parentage, all of that. It does work for me. I'm not disappointed by it at all. I mean, this whole time I kept thinking there's going to be some connection with Ray to either Vader slash Anakin, well, more so Vader, or Palpatine. But I was thinking, oh, she's probably a clone or something like that, but they're the ones who made this happen. So now that I find she's the granddaughter of Palpatine, that kind of still ties her into that character for me. And it works because, you know, I've seen some criticism where people say, oh, well, you know, now they took away the idea that, oh, you can't, you know, nobody's can just be, you know, strong with the force, but you can't just make a story about somebody who's that powerful with the force that has no connection to these characters. I mean, you could, but it's not going to work that way. That's not how this Star Wars saga works. There's this bloodline. There's right. this specialness. You have to have a connection there of some manner to these other characters. And I thought this was a great way to do it. I'm glad she doesn't talk like Palpatine um, because that would be annoying. But at least they both have, you know, English accents. So <laughs> I guess that's in the bloodline. Yeah, I have to say, I originally was always kind of guessing or hoping that Ray was going to be Luke's daughter. And that we just hadn't gotten an explanation of how it happened or whatever yet. Um, so I was not expecting at all that she was going to end up being Palpatine's granddaughter. So that really caught me by surprise. Um, and I do think you're right, Bruce. I think that there had to be some sort of connection to characters we already know that are force sensitive that strongly for it to make sense with her. Or they would have had to explain how she got that way otherwise. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it really turned me on my head going oh wow okay that changes everything i was thinking up to this point about ray um and and then really parallels the whole story of luke and his father because even though it's her grandfather it's the same struggle of like luke having to tell her just because you're related to them doesn't mean you're gonna end up like them 
Yeah, because so this I, is like a retelling of Luke's story in a sense. I mean, the Luke Skywalker yeah. story, and it's like, okay, let's kind of tell this similar story, but differently. Like you're saying, there's a connection between Luke and Vader, and now we have Rey and Palpatine. Yeah, I think uh, to me it it worked because, like you said, Bruce, look, um, you're not going to come into the story and have her be connected to nobody. This is the Skywalker saga. You know, she needs to be connected with some characters we know. Otherwise, you need to just go and tell another story about another Jedi in another place in time that doesn't have anything to do with the Skywalker saga. And so to have this, you know, come out that she's, you know, Palpatine's uh, granddaughter, I thought was uh, ingenious in some ways because it makes sense now. Then, and, and it also, you know, it plays really well with what J.J. did in, in The Force Awakens, right? Like, all that stuff really makes a lot more sense now. And and to me, I think, you know, the hallmark of any movie is that it makes its sequels better. And this made The Force Awakens such a better movie to me. And part of it is because we finally answered the questions that J.J. had raised in that movie. And, you know, for me, I also liked the explanation because it also kind of explains not only why Rey has been so powerful, but why she's been so much more passionate. Like, you know, Rey has been a character, anytime she's in a fight scene or anything like this, she's much less serene than the other light size users that we've seen before. She has more of that kind of Anakin vibe. Like, she's, she, she, when she battles somebody. And so that's kind of something that I really appreciated about her as a, as a character, um, is that we find have kind of explained that as well by saying, yeah, she's the daughter of the most evil person we know in star Wars, you know? And so or not the daughter, the granddaughter. And so I really liked that. Um, but I also let liked what it allowed us to do then for her in this story, because I really like, look, you know, we already said up front, I don't love the last Jedi, but I thought it was kind of awesome the way that J.J. used those mirrors when she goes to get um, the Wayfinder on, you know, the ruined Death Star. Mm-hmm. And that room is full of mirrors. And who does she run into but the mirror version of herself? The, the version that chooses to follow the dark side in much the same way. Like this totally reminded me of the Clone Wars where Yoda has to fight the darkness within. And give it no power. He must acknowledge that it's there, but then he chooses to give it no power. So that the light overcomes the dark in that way. And I thought, to me, I was like, that's one of those places where this movie connects to something Star Wars where it totally makes sense. And they brought it to to life beautifully by using a thing from The Last Jedi that I didn't even really like. But I thought it worked really well. So, again, that's one of those places. Like, this movie, by giving us this answer... But by doing it in the way they did actually made a part of The Last Jedi better for me, which is great. Yeah, that's how I felt about that scene as well. I'm glad you mentioned that, Matt, because I immediately thought of that scene with Rey looking in the mirror and the snapping from The Last Jedi. Um, But that that scene was frustrating from The Last Jedi for me because I felt like I didn't understand what the purpose of including it was because it didn't give us any new information about Ray. So now this is finally adding to that and giving it meaning. And that made it much better for me. And I mean, you don't know that it's coming when Ray suddenly has her mirror image pop up behind her. So definitely the first time I was seeing the movie, I jumped and screamed out loud. (laughs) 
Oh, I would have liked to see that. And then also, <laughs> oh, it, Michael was sitting beside me, and I, I definitely screamed. Wow. Uh, and then with the uh, the teeth that her mirror yeah. image has, that was so that was so Lord of the Rings though. Remember when? Um, yeah. Bilbo, you know, he wants he wants yes. the ring again, and he's like, ah! that was so like. That was very nice. There's actually a few. I, I feel like there's a there's a few like little Lord of the Rings ish type things in here, but that was great. And a Lord of the Rings actor. That's one true. Of, one of go. the rebels. <laughs> yeah, I didn't quite understand why they put him in there, but whatever. <laughs> I, I, well, and and that's yeah, that is definitely part of the story where there was more story for some of these characters that just got cut out, and I think we could have. Um, yeah, because yeah. I thought, why so, add him? You can make have wedge be that mm-hmm. role or something but anyway, yeah but that, that yeah. scene you're talking about the mirror scene and everything and then you know the um snapping and all that from the last Jedi. that's the one thing that i do appreciate this movie doing I, and i would have been really disappointed this with this movie if it didn't and that is answering so many questions because seeing the force awakens in the last jedi there were things i'm just like okay i don't really understand that i don't I'm not really sure what that really means and i kept thinking i was patient i was like okay but hopefully all this stuff gets answered and resolved and we have that aha moment where it's like, Oh, now it makes sense. Now I'm starting to understand where those threads are leading to. And thankfully this is, this movie was doing that. And I mean, I don't know if you felt the same way, but I, with moments with Ray as well, I thought at first that they were going to lead up to possibly um, Ray and Kylo being um, both Sith in the end. I was wondering if they were going to go that route because they're mentioning the holocron and that there are always two. Um, and then, you know, revealing that she's Palpatine's granddaughter and then them going to Exegol. And, and I was just like, there's too many signs that they're just both going to go to the dark side. I don't know. Are they going to do that? They could. <laughs> no, because JJ knows well, people and- will get upset. <laughs> and one of the things that I kind of liked too is, so one of the, the, uh, journey to the rise of skywalker books um force collector has a character that who who's one of his main force abilities is uh psychometry which allows him you know just like um we saw uh what's his face from the clone wars um quinlan voss where he can touch something and sense where it's been or whatever and we see you know that ray has that power as well because she you know, in the Force Awakens, she touches the lightsaber. She has the the vision, the Force vision. Uh, here, you know, she touches the knife. She has the Force vision. So this is one of her abilities uh, through the Force, which I thought was really cool, which we have seen before in Star Wars. So we're kind of adding to that, which I really liked. Um, and also, it was really kind of interesting, like this idea of all of the Jedi kind of living in her. It, it a friend of mine pointed out it felt like very Avatar the Last Airbender kind of thing, um, like Ray Ray is the last light side bender, um, and so I thought that that was kind of an interesting like it it was an interesting way to put it and how like the Jedi are all part of the Force together, and um, you know I it it's also why I kind of. When when Ray is having her moment where she's saying, you know, be with me on the floor of the, the Sith temple there on Exegol, that I felt like that she was basically in the world between worlds at that point. Um, that she, and, and meant in much the same way, again, kind of tying in the way we've seen Yoda 
in Rebels when he would just appear there, when he and and um, Ezra appeared there together. Um, and that that's why she can also hear all of these Jedi. And, you know, we don't know if Ahsoka's dead. So how would she be able to hear Ahsoka? And that kind of like very much gave me the idea of like, not all of these Jedi that we're hearing, you know, are are actually Jedi that are dead at this moment. So, um, like Ahsoka, because we don't, I don't believe her to be dead. So that was just a really cool moment to me of really kind of seeing how if a if a Jedi is truly in touch with the Force, and again, we've seen it with Yoda, we, we saw it happen with Ezra and Rebels, that they can truly commune with, you know, those that have come before and gain knowledge from the, the Force in this way by being in this type of place. And so I thought that that was a really cool idea, and I, I really appreciated that because, it, I, again, it it's... It's going to go to this thing about like um, we talk about it, I think, in a little bit about following in the footsteps of of those who have come before us and the example that they have given us, you know, the good example. And so to me, that was really neat. Yeah, like like you're saying, it is a, a new way of explaining something we already knew. It's a new way of defining how the force works and saying that, you know, it's not necessarily just a force ghost appearing to you and teaching you things. Um, and it's not just raised visions. It can also be this communing with all of the Jedi that are either force ghosts or still alive, um, but that she couldn't do it until the right time and until she really had all of her focus on that. Because, you know, when she's in the scene early in the movie with the rocks floating around her, she's trying to do it and it just wasn't happening. So I think she just wasn't in the mindset to really be focusing all of her energy on that alone. Uh, She doesn't like rocks, at least in The Last Jedi, she said that, but... (laughs) Um, she still doesn't probably, but you know, I thought the whole thing with uh, the different voices, I, I perceive that as them all being dead Jedi. And I understand what you're saying with Ahsoka and that could be true. And the reason I'm only assuming that they're all dead is because she's been referred to as the last Jedi, as if she's the last of the Jedi, that all other Jedi are dead. Right. But Ahsoka Mm -hmm. could be alive but just in a different plane from the last time we've seen her so her situation is different right and doesn't consider herself a jedi Jedi. right Right. so even though she doesn't consider herself a jedi she's part of the jedi in this representation (laughs) so right she's once you're jedi always a jedi unless you go to the dark side that that's my opinion yeah yeah no i think i I mean i I, and i think what it to me it just actually just raised interesting questions where i really want to continue ahsoka's story now like i need to know more about that story so that's the beauty of doing movies like this in this manner is you plant all these seeds and you leave a lot of things open for interpretation or just ideas open jj does a lot of that in here oh yeah so that spurs so many things that you could do in new movies or series or books or whatever so it's a lot of fun yeah, and I mean, it was just so cool to hear all of those Jedi. I mean, you know, the fact that we hear Anakin, we hear Obi-Wan, we hear two versions of Obi-Wan, um, we hear uh, Kanan, we hear Ahsoka, we hear Mace Windu, which is kind of cool. Uh, we hear um, Aayla Sakura and um, uh, what's her, um, 
oh gosh, I can't remember her name right now, but we we hear all of these different characters, which is just so neat to and 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 from all these different like you know um eras, you know, and and again, really to have Anakin kind of be the one who was front and center there for a lot of it um, was really neat. Uh, so you know, I loved the fact that they utilized all of these these you know Jedi voices coming back to encourage Ray to be there for Ray. And, like, it's just something I've always kind of wanted in Star Wars, you know, when we talk about, you know, Jedi that have come before. It was just awesome. Wouldn't it have been great? Think about how we just saw, you know, Palpatine, and he represents all the Sith, and you see that, you know, arena of Sith spirits Mm -hmm. is what I'm calling them. If we had not just heard the voice of those Jedi, but if they all appeared as ghosts in front of Rey. Everyone you just named, can you imagine them all just standing there together? That would have freaked me out. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. too, I'm, I don't know. I'm kind of glad that they didn't do that. I think it had more emotional meaning to it, not having them appear as force ghosts. Those of them that are definitely dead. But, but I mean, too, that would have also been cool. You know, I also thought one of the, the beautiful things, um, there, there's that moment where just with Ray, where, you know, she saves Ben's life. And I loved that moment with her because it's a really spiritual moment because in that moment, they're still enemies, you know, but she feels pity on him knowing that his mother has died, knowing obviously that his father is gone. Um, and she heals him. And then I love, you know, how she says to him, I wanted to take your hand, but Ben's hand. Like, and I just really love that moment because it's such a beautiful spiritual moment of her loving who is her enemy and saying, I, I wanted you to be the best version of yourself. And you're just that that's that's who I wanted to be with. That's who I she wanted. always believed yeah. in him. Always. Yeah. And so I, I really loved that about Ray there. And I loved um, again, I just loved the uh, the spiritual accent and uh or the, the the spiritual aspect of that um and i love too when you see um her heal him like she heals not only the what happened you know the stab wound she gave him but she heals a scar on his face too he no longer has a scar he is no longer scarred like she has she has so i just I, there was just something so beautiful and poetic about that well, and that she, A, realized that it was her doing that put him in that situation, that, you know, she reacted out of anger like a Sith would, and then realized what she had done. Um, so thank goodness she was able to rectify it. Um, and then, too, I think you could say that she healed him emotionally, because it was after that point that he then talks to his father again and decides to chuck his saber. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she physically heals him, but I think also emotionally heals him along with Leia and then her father. I mean, you really think of it, she he's kind of ganged up on at that moment. Right, that's true. It wasn't way. just her. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I, I agree. Yeah. Um, I also, what did you guys think about her claiming the name Skywalker at the end? I can't answer that because I already knew it was coming. <laughs> oh, how'd you know? Um, read certain things, oh. leaked things, and so I knew it at the end. And of course, when she's standing there and she's like looking off in the distance, I'm like, "It's coming! It's coming!" Yeah, 
I and see that you know originally that was what I wanted from the get go was for her to legitimately be Luke's daughter, but I like the the way that it ended up, where she's saying you know although I'm technically not related to them, um, I think it goes back to them saying all of the Jedi are in me, um, that it's like you know with Ben saving her life, that sort of his spirit is now in her and you didn't see Leia's body disappear until Ben left his body. So I think that it's sort of like Leia and Ben are now in Ray. Yeah. So it and would make she's sense. been mentored by Skywalkers. Right. Which are kind of, you know, parental figures for her. I mean, that's what a great name to carry, you know, and yeah. the Skywalker name brought hope. To the right. galaxy, and she wasn't going to be a Palpatine. She's done with that. No, she's not Ray Palps. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I heartily agree. I think what it what it signifies, like you were saying, Christy, is like it not not necessarily physically, but there there's something even more than spiritually that she is kind of a Skywalker, since the the Force energy of of Leia and and Kylo or or a Ben. You know, they reside in her now. You know, that that force energy, she mentions when she heals the snake that she transferred a bit of her force energy, a part of her life force, to heal that that snake. And so Mm -hmm. that means that that energy that was theirs now lives in her, you know. And we know that there's a physical aspect to that with the midichlorians and stuff. Yes, I know. I just mentioned midichlorians, people. But so (laughs) what that means is that she is in some ways literally not just who she used to be, but she has she has become made new. You know, like she is a Skywalker as much as she is a Palpatine, really. And and but part of that, too, is because she's choosing the life that they fought for you know what they represented the same way that you know han says to to ben you know in the memory the moment you know it what she stood for what she fought for those things have not died you know Mm -hmm. and so ray represents that and i think honestly to me that's the representation too of the lightsaber color that she has yellow and we only saw yellow lightsabers in star wars were the temple guards and to me she is the she is now the guardian of the Jedi. She is the first of the new Jedi. She is the guardian of what it means t- uh, to be the, you know, the bearer of the light side of the force. And I really appreciated that. So for her to claim the name Skywalker made so much sense. Like she has, she's been adopted spiritually and given a new name. And again, it's a really spiritual concept, you know? Um, and I, to me, it, it made so much sense and I liked it, you know, um, if she wasn't going to actually be a Skywalker for her to be adopted by the Skywalkers, again, it makes so much sense. She apparently loved Ben more than just friends. Um, but also Luke and Leia loved her too. And, and they chose to train her, even though they knew what she was, because they believed in her and they believed in the goodness in her, um, which was, I mean, you know, nothing better than that. So to me, it all worked. And, you know, something that I just thought about that I had not previously thought about with this movie was um, if you think about it too, Luke and Leia were technically adopted as well with the parents that they ended up being left with, you know, Owen and Beru and then um, 
Brea and Bale Organa. And then, you know, Leia kept the name Organa. So I feel like that's just a continuation of those stories, too. Yeah, that's a great point. Really great point. Um, you know, and, and it was interesting to me because in many ways, Ray kind of feels Harry Potterish. you know, once we now have her story, like her parents sacrificed themselves for her. She's left in an awful place to grow up, to keep her away from evil. And in, in some ways, I feel like their sacrifice left a mark on her. And it, in many ways, the way that, you know, Harry's mother's sacrifice leaves a mark on him. And it's one that allows her not to give in to the darkness that's a part of her nature. And I just, to me, that made a lot of sense because we also see here, um, in just a moment, we'll talk about this uh, dyad idea, but like just for Ray, like this seemed to be the answer to, to help me kind of understand like story wise and, and like mythology wise, like why Ray would be able to be this good character because i mean when you read harry potter he has every right to be this awful person with all the bad things that happened to him and yet it's the mark of sacrificial love that's left on him i think that makes a huge difference and i think that's something that i see in this movie that not only for ray but a lot of other characters in in this film so what you're saying is no one ever loved palpatine yeah apparently not not <laughs> not like that so well, but but what you're saying concerns me too, be, because I'm thinking about Han and Leia. Were they not good enough parents? Well, for Ben. So, but I mean, I don't, I don't want to quite get into Ben yet. But um, I would, I would say that it makes sense. Why, why does Ben continually feel the the light side of the Force calling to him? Why right, is it that he right. never truly be the Dark Lord that he wants to be? I would I would suggest that it I, yeah I have an answer for that so let's get into it like the dyad the two that are one what did you guys think of this new idea because we've had the chosen one idea and now we have this thing the dyad I like that the dyad is Skywalker and Palpatine and especially when you see Palpatine sucking their life force or whatever out of them you know one's white one's black it's like you know two sides. It also reminds me reminds me of Mortis in a sense. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So I, I, it's it's a good change up from like you're saying the chosen one. It's always about the one. I mean, yeah, we talk about the Skywalker twins, but it really focused more on Luke. So I I I really felt that that dyad makes sense, especially there's a connection there because it's been hinted at that Palpatine was the one that caused the midichlorians to create anakin so in a yep. sense he fathered anakin yep and at the same time he fathered ray's father so there's a relationship palpatine ties them all together the skywalkers and the palpatines mm -hmm. in a sense they're all tied together in a family way in a family tree type of way so he starts at the beginning of the phantom menace and now that family tie ends it at the end of this movie that's a really good point. And, you know, and that's kind of the way I think of it as well. Like you're saying, Bruce, with it being um, black and white with how Ray is dressed and Kylo was dressed. Um, it's that classic sort of theme of yin and yang or in Star Wars that there's always been a master and an apprentice, whether it was good or bad. 
And so now it, it made complete sense to me to have it be that the most powerful part in this sequel trilogy would be having two together, but that are on the same side and that are both so force sensitive. Um, and that you didn't expect it to end up with the two of them becoming partners. So I, I really, really love that. Well, and it's interesting because, in again, to reference The Last Jedi, we know when you're at that temple uh, on Oct 2, on the floor, there's the mosaic of, the, of Jedi Prime, which is oh, right. the light and the dark together with one yes. saber. And so I think this all ties together. And, and, and what I think it comes down to is this, is that... Um, is that we we see this 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 the, the the selfishness of the Sith, right? Their desire to to live eternal, um, and that what we really see is that sacrifice is the only way to truly save someone we love, and that there's always going to be a cost to that sacrifice, and sometimes that sacrifice requires your entire life, like we saw with Leia, like we saw with Anakin at the end of Episode Six. And so, um, and with with the force creating life and binding it together and continually being fed by life as well, you know, Opa, uh, what I loved about all this idea is like, you know, Yoda does say in episode three that misread the prophecy could have been. But I still think that in many ways, Anakin becomes the, he is still the chosen one um, because Anakin in his sacrifice still continues on the trend of the path of the Jedi, which mm-hmm. is selflessness. He, 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 and, and, and so this is how I kind of read it. And this is the way I feel like I was really able to bring all three trilogies together for myself in my head is that Anakin is the chosen one, but he abdicated that role when he says no on Mortis. And that Luke being willing to give up his life for his father reminds Anakin of his goodness uh, and his uh, his his love, you know, and his selflessness, um, and it brings him back almost to that that boy that we met in in episode one, and so he gives up his life for his son. Leia gives up her life, the last of her life, to help save her son, and then what we see, we see Ray's father and mother give up their life for their daughter, so that there is sacrificial love on either side of this dyad. And that is what allows these two to come together, one who represented the dark, one who represented the light, to bring balance in the end. And, and so in the end, it's sacrificial love that is the mark that overcomes evil. And mm-hmm. Bruce, like you said, like Palpatine himself is the one who unwittingly set this all in motion in the first place. And that's where I feel like this actually does bring a it all together where ev- all three trilogies still work, but you still have the importance of, of, of Anakin himself because it's, it's Anakin choosing um, the light again that allows the light to continue, you know? And, and yes, he will not bring full balance to the Force, but his grandson and Palpatine's granddaughter will do that fully in the end. As this, it, and it, it and again, it reminds me of Mortis, right? The son and the and the daughter coming together. Mm-hmm. Is is it in, instead of fighting one another, they 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 come together. Um, and so I, I just to me, this really 
evoked all of those type of things Star Warsiness wise you know like and it, it didn't feel like oh no this doesn't make sense it felt like the more I've seen it and the more I've thought about it, the more this really makes sense and the more it brings the trilogy to a satisfying conclusion for me yeah and I, I've been asked a few times now about the whole chosen one in relationship to this sequel trilogy where people are like well yeah don't you feel like it throws out the chosen one and I agree with almost everything you well everything that you just said actually and you know, and that's just the thing to me you know he the chosen was the chosen one was to bring balance to the force and anakin did that he brought balance now it's just a matter of maintaining that balance that doesn't mean things are perfect and they'll never be evil again or you know now it's just a matter of maintaining that and so if Anakin wasn't born and if Anakin didn't take the route he did, then Palpatine would have stayed in power all this time. Yeah. And we would never had this upset that brought balance now. I mean, he brought the balance. He brought this to this moment. This sequel trilogy couldn't play out unless Anakin did what he did. So he is the chosen one. He brought balance to the force. And now we're maintaining the balance. Yeah, that was how I looked at it as well. Like it, it did not at all undo the fact that Anakin was supposed to be the chosen one um, because of the way that Anakin ends up deciding to sacrifice in the end. And then how Ben is his further down the line offspring. Um, I think that he still does do what he was supposed to do. Um and that then there is that balance, like you're saying, Bruce, with having Ben and Ray and them coming together. And that that's something I like that they have Ben actually say to Ray is that what Palpatine, what Palpatine doesn't know is that we're a dyad and that we have this power together more than he has alone. Yeah. And think yeah. about all the times we've said about which characters have helped the situation. Luke. And Leia, they're the offspring of Anakin, you mm -hmm. know, so even just giving, you know, the birth to these characters brings the balance. Yep. Well, and that there's something beautiful about that, because it also says that with each successive generation, there is new hope with new life being created. Right. Um, but it's also the responsibility of each generation to face evil in and of itself. But what I loved here is that the beauty of this, it does kind of seem as though. In the end, we have finally brought we have brought the prophecy to a close that balance has been restored in the sense that for Star Wars and, you know, John and I have talked about this in aggressive negotiations, but balance for George doesn't seem to, to mean that there's a balance of Sith and Jedi. It means that there are no Sith and there are only Jedi um, because that that evil is held at bay like um, and so. And, and that the Jedi themselves are able to do that. And, and I feel like this movie kind of brings that to conclusion that all that is left now will be the Jedi. And their goal then will be to make sure that, that um, the corruption of the Sith does not return in the future. And, um, and that those ideas do not return in the future um, and I just really, I, I loved the idea that we finally brought balance to the force, but it's not because Anakin's sa sacrifice does not matter. If Anakin's sacrifice, do, uh, if he doesn't sacrifice himself, everything ends there, right? Like it all ends. And, and so 
And it's also his example. It's the example that Anakin sets. It's the example that Luke sets. It's the example that Leia sets. It's the example that Ray's parents set that all move them to being these people that will, will they choose sacrifice or will they choose, uh, you know, or will they choose selfishness? And, you know, again, I feel like this is the moment where we see that sacrificial love has truly marked Ben and Ray in a way that makes it impossible for them to to really choose anything else in the end. They they are tempted, and obviously Ben um, went down that road for a while, but he's able to find his way back. So I guess that means we should probably talk about some Ben Demption. Yeah. So tell me, Matt, are you a Raylo? I've never been a Raylo personally. <laughs> um, there were there were very few people in this saga where I was really kind of hoping for them to get together like romantically. Um, but uh, we'll talk about a little bit later the the couple that I'm fully on board with. Um, but okay. you know, I I am really interested. What do you do? You feel like was he redeemed? Well, did it work for you guys? I think that he was. I. I wouldn't have done it a different way because I think that he needed time. I think Kylo was obviously so angry and um, wanting of so much power that he had to go through the struggles that he did and continue on the path that he thought he wanted um, until he was shown by multiple people the way that he needed to go and that he finally felt like he got the forgiveness of Han and the motivation of why he needed to give up the dark side. Um, I don't think that there would have been any redemption for Kylo and unless he had that moment. And I really thought it was beautiful that he used the same words that he did when he originally killed Han. He said, I know what I have to do, but I don't know if I have the strength to do it. And Han says, you do. And I, that actually made me cry. Yeah, don't make me cry, Kristen. <laughs> hey, man, I will so, fess up. Every time I've seen this movie, there have been multiple times when I've teared up. Uh, I think yes, they'd, thank yes, you. So. I tear up at different points each time I view it. Like, the thing I teared about the first time I'm not tearing up, I'm tearing up at a different scene that I didn't tear. It's, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> um, I did not necessarily wanted Ben to be redeemed. I didn't have a problem if they were going to go down that road, which they did. But I just, my thought at the time was Kylo Ren not only just killed his father, but he's killed, you know, the village at the beginning of uh, The Force Awakens. He's killed multiple people. And I know Vader has done the same. And, but I was just like, why redeem someone who's done so much horror and has taken so much life? But this really worked well for me in this movie because they played it as that was Kylo Ren. And now you have Ben Solo and they're two totally different people. When you're on the dark side, you are not the same person. You're being influenced. You're totally changed. He is not who he is. And they, they're very specific in saying that you are now Ben Solo. And it's like, I looked at those characters now as two different people that Kylo Ren did all that murdering of planets and people and so and so forth but ben solo didn't so that's why that worked for me the redemption worked for me because he went back to being ben solo and he's not the one that did this 
And that it wasn't easy. It wasn't like he just suddenly on a dime was like, oh, I decided I don't want to be Kylo Ren anymore. No, but and that's a good point, because that's the other thing that I like is it's always been hinted at in all these movies that, you know, he's still struggling. He's feeling a pull to that light side, which we talked about earlier, because, you know, the love of his parents that made it even harder for him. Uh, and, and that helps. As you're, as you're exactly right. It's not like he's just all evil that all of a sudden, oh, yeah, now I'm redeemed. Mm-hmm. There, he's always being pulled that direction. Yeah, this is something that I, I, I feel like I'm with you, Bruce. I didn't know if I wanted him to be redeemed, but the way that they did it ended up working. Part of that was because uh, I loved the way that, you know, again, we see Han walks out on that catwalk knowing there's a good possibility he might die, but he's willing to do whatever it takes for his son. And Leia does the same thing for her son. And again, I feel like what's beautiful about this, and and Palpatine even says in that transmission, he's like, Princess of Alderaan has disrupted my plans but it'll be no it'll be no matter and really palpatine in many ways this is where palpatine and and voldemort are kind of similar is they don't understand the power of sacrifice because yes. they're not willing to make any sacrifices themselves and so this sacrifice these sacrificial acts have a huge so you put the fact that han leia and ray all make a sacrifice for ben there you have the moment at the end of the last Jedi where where Luke apologizes to to Kylo, saying, "I failed you. I'm sorry, but I I can't be the one to redeem you. It has to be Ben's choice. Ben has to make the choice to turn around from evil and do what is good." And I loved that these sacrifices help show him the way, and that that. Sacrifice is the only true way to save those we love, and it's going to cost sometimes all that we are. And like he then does that for Ray in the end because, and I I what I liked is that there's not a co- there there is a cost. Like I think Ben in that moment he realizes I'm not the one of this dyad that should live. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and in that moment the two are one now. They the dyad lives on in Ray as the one, and I think it's really be- beautiful. And not only that, but. Ben, you know, Kylo says, I will finish what you started. He thinks he's talking to Vader, but what really Ben what what Ben will finish is is the is the sacrificial act that Anakin started and and in and and we saw in in episode six. He's going to bring balance to the force through a sacrificial act. And I think that's the beauty. And and on top of all of that, I think this this redemption shows that choices define who we are, and it's never too late to make the right choice. And it's never too late for somebody to be offered the chance at redemption. And I think that's something our world has lost. And I love that this movie... Look, again, there are consequences for Ben, right? He's lost his parents and he will lose his life in the end too for what he truly believes in, but that it's worth it to make the right choice. Even if it's the very end, it still matters. And I, to me, that's why Ben Demption ended up working. 
Yeah. It, well, and like, that's why I loved what um, Luke had said about Vader or Anakin. And then Leia said later uh, about Ben was there is still good in him. I know it. And that's why Vader and Anakin have always been my favorite part of Star Wars is because there was still that option to make the right choice. And they did. And so it, it didn't erase the bad that they did, but it helped to make things better after them. Um, and so I, that's something that I really loved about having Ben get redemption and that he got to follow in those footsteps. So I, I completely agree. And it allows the opportunity for them to kiss. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, I, I, Either way, I, I, you know, they don't have to kiss for me for me to be happy. But, um, <laughs> right. you know, I, I didn't mind it. I know some people didn't really like it all that much, but it, it to me, it made sense. Like these are two people who kind of have loved each other, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, and yet, you know, they've been on opposite sides of things, and and this will be the only time that that will get to happen. So, um, you know, then might as well die semi happy. Yeah I, yeah, I didn't mind it, but I wasn't um, someone who from The Force Awakens on had really foreseen them possibly being in a relationship. So um, it was just kind of, eh, okay, it made sense in this moment for them to kiss, but um, I didn't ship them, I guess you would say. Yeah, yeah, me either. But uh, yeah, when that moment was coming, I was like, oh, gosh, no, don't kiss it. Okay, they did. But I didn't mind it. If anything, it just shows that he is fully Ben because that's who she has loved or at least had interest in is Ben. And yeah. she even says his name and smiles, you know, because it's like you are now fully here. You are that person I've been seeking and trying to pull back and you're here. So if right. anything, there's going to be an emotion between these two. And then maybe yeah. now Ray can still end up with Finn. <laughs> That's what I want. Uh, yeah. Um, I really liked that for all of these characters I, we see, like that they are confronting fear. Like, and it's not just Ray who's confronting fear. It's Ben, it's Poe, it's all of these people who they are haunted by their pasts. Um, and I really appreciated that, that, that message playing out in different, I mean, look, and even, even Finn, you know, like all of these characters, they're, they all have paths to which they're not necessarily proud of. There's things they've done that they're not proud of, and they have to confront that fear, even if that fear is the fear of themselves, you know, and I really appreciated that because, um, what fear does, and I, I really kind of liked what Zori says to Poe, you know, fear drives you away from other people and makes you feel like you're alone. And that the only way for us to confront our fears is to do it together, you know? And and that's what Lando says to, to Poe as well. Like, you know, realizing that you are, are more than you know, uh, and um, but it's not just about you. It's about banding together and not doing it alone. And I really just... Uh, as a as a theme for the movie, I really appreciated that they played that theme out in different ways with different characters. Um, and in the end, all of the characters are willing to then confront their fear and move forward by confronting whatever it is that they're afraid of, but then overcoming it and being willing to, to lay their life on the line for other people. 
um, whether it costs them everything or not, which, it, again, it's just like, that's what Star Wars is all about, great messages like this. Well, anytime I hear fear, I think fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, but you have to conquer that fear so it doesn't take you down that path. You know, and you're right. That's it's such a symbol in this movie about fear and joining together. And, and you know, even Luke, you know, says that he was wrong for when, you know, he was wrong to be in The Last Jedi is what he was saying. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, you know, from his circumstances there, you know, he's like, I was wrong. I was here because of fear. And, and Ray, you can't fear. You have to face those fears. If anything, her story, his her storyline now is a mere that parallels probably what Luke's story was that led to the last Jedi. Yeah. My favorite quote, I think from this whole movie was when Zori is the one to look at Poe and say, they win by making you think you're alone. Because I mean, it's true. Like it, it even parallels how Palpatine tries to convince people to join the dark side, making you think you're alone and then making you want to be the sole person in power um, and fueling that selfishness um, and the fear. And so I, I love that fear and selfishness and aloneness are all themes in the movie that show the path to the dark side and that that is how the Sith wins. And the only way that the Jedi will win is to go the other direction. Yeah, I really like that, Christy, because one of the things that um, this whole theme reminded me of was that idea of like that Kylo says this to Rey, uh, you know, that the the dark side is our is a, is a part of our nature, you know, and fear really drives us to give power to different the different wolves in our lives. So we're going to, we're going to feed the wolf of fear or we're going to feed the wolf of courage uh, and, mm -hmm. you know, and, and of self-sacrifice. And, you know, so what we see is the dark side really is something that kind of isolates you, keeps you in the dark, <laughs> literally and figuratively. Whereas self-sacrifice is usually the thing that leads you to be there with others, be doing things with others, you know, um, and for others. And so, you know, I just really appreciated that this this theme plays in perfectly to the, to the struggle between what the dark and the light. And that, you know, again, it's about, you know, I keep coming back to that from Frozen 2, but it's like doing the next right thing, you know, like to confront fear. The best way to do that is just to do the next right thing. The worst way to do that is to do the thing that is just for you, for yourself. And, you know, so I really just appreciated that. I think it re works really well in the movie. Um, so we have the rise of Palpatine again. And, you know, this is a big story point in this movie. So how does the return of the Emperor Dementor work for you? I have to throw in one thing before we get too far into that. Bruce predicted this through the vision no one saw coming at Star Wars Celebration. <laughs> what? The title? Wait, what? No, that what Palpatine was going to be in it. Because, oh, yeah, yeah. because we were talking about this, you and I, when we were waiting to see the first trailer at Celebration. And then when we heard Palpatine's laugh at the end was when I grabbed your arm and we were both screaming going, oh! 
Well, you know, the thing is, it's like I said, you know, there's a connection I felt that Ray was going to have to either Vader or Palpatine. And the thing is, yeah, first of all, if I were going to be doing uh, adding a sequel trilogy, I probably would think to put Palpatine in this last one because the first episode is the Phantom Menace and that's what Palpatine is. So it makes sense to wrap it up with Palpatine. But at the same time, you know, I get tired of every character we think is dead isn't dead, you know? So the fact that he was like thrown down the shaft by Anakin at the end of Return of the Jedi, I would think, okay, he's done. He's dead. Let's, you know, Darth Maul, like everybody who falls down the shaft comes back, you know? (laughs) But Palpatine is very crafty. He's very, he's got some weird sciencey experimental things going on. He has talked about cheating death. So all in all, with all that, it, it works. And I'm glad they reflect some back to some of the things that he had said. Uh, he mentions some of those things in this movie and you see his lab and it, so it works. I just, you know, I just always hesitate when we're always bringing dead characters back, but this one I was fine with. I do see your point with that. And, and I, there were some things about him coming back that I would like to get further detail on a little better explanation of how he survived in between then and now. Um, see, I don't want to know. I think I like it better than being a mystery. Yeah. I mean, it, it's cool, but I, you know, I don't know. I, I felt like there's still kind of a piece missing for me there, but it still worked good enough. Um, you know, cause you can see he's clearly hooked up to some things that are keeping him alive. Um, but I like that addition of seeing that he had made clones of Snoke and that there's a couple of them sitting in this container. Um, and I like that you see that he's Palpatine has all of these minions around keeping him alive and spectators, like, I guess, sitting there giving him praise until they're needed for something. Um, you know, it, it it is interesting. And it really worked for me the most when they bring back that quote from him saying that some things uh, others would consider unnatural. I was excited about that. I, I mean, to me, one of the things that they did really well, and, and I think it, it really just kind of started to fit into things that we know of Palpatine. Um, you know, we saw in the Clone Wars he was doing experiments on Force-sensitive children. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, those things have continued. Um, and we've seen, you know, Death Mary witches. We've seen some crazy shirt in Star Wars when it comes to, like, things that people can do and again things that just seem so unnatural and so unholy and you know so seeing him connected to these machines like you said christy we see snoke you know the 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 clones of snoke or whatever so the the thought process in my head are going like he's he's like draining the force energy uh you know kind of like the dark crystal almost like maybe that's what it is bruce Maybe it's Palpatine and the Dark Crystal. You That's know? what it is. You <laughs> so, called it. But but that kind of that kind of thing is what it seems to be. Like that's what Palpatine's doing is these just the most the darkest, the the worst things possible to be able to stay alive, you know. That he's been brought back through the sacrifice of innocence, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, to me. That's the difference here. What we see Palpatine is using all these things to keep him alive. 
at the expense of other people, whereas the Jedi give themselves up uh, at the expense of only themselves. Yes. And so when we saw anybody give their life for another in this movie that's a Jedi, like Leia or, you know, Rey giving up part of her Force energy or Ben giving up his his essence so that Rey can live, those are the willingly their their choice to give up their own life and the benefit of another. For, you know, Palpatine, we truly are seeing here that this has got to be at the expense of, you know, countless thousands. Who knows? Yeah. So. And again, it fits in line with not only uh, just one more thing, uh, real quick. When Ray gets the when Ray runs to get the one of the Jedi texts in the mix is the line, um, "The power to cheat death" from Episode Three. So there are those two quotes from Episode Three in this movie, where you know Terio, I saw in an interview, he said, "We we." That line was just waiting. Those lines are just waiting there for us to pick up on. So that's what we ran with. So, I mean, they're using canon to do this. So to me, it doesn't bother me. And like you said, it's Bruce, it's ambiguous enough to where it works great. You know, like it, it worked. And, and the fact that they finally use this to bring it to an end, like all of this to an end. I didn't know if it would work for me, but to me, it's one of the things that really helps bring all three trilogies together. Yeah, I mean, it, and I'm sorry, I was just piggybacking on what both of you were saying and saying that I think I really love how they're tying all of these different pieces of Palpatine in the past to Palpatine in the present, saying, you know, that it's coming back to the discussion he had with Anakin about cheating death and about how he could have possibly saved Padme. But then if she was going to be like this, who wants that? Who wants to live forever if that's how you're going to live? So, yeah, I I love that. You know, as much as we're talking about Palpatine, now I'm starting to think about would this trilogy, would it have played out a little better if we had known up front that Palpatine was behind some of the things going on in The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi? If we had been told as an audience that Palpatine was still alive and he's behind the scenes? Our characters don't know it, but we know it. Um, I think... And and this is one of the that's a great question, Bruce. But to my knowledge, my thought process is that this movie and, and this trilogy would have just been better served if JJ had done the whole thing because I think there would have been some hints or pieces in in part two, and then we would have gotten the revelation and full revelation in part three. Um, mm-hmm. and I think just having more cohesion of one person's idea of the storyline would have would have helped because. There's so there's so little really in The Last Jedi that truly means something for this movie. There are really only a few things, you know, um, and most of it have to revolve that they revolve around the Kylo, Rey and Luke story. And that's really those are the things that matter the most. The rest of it's kind of irrelevant comparatively. Um, And I think it would have just been uh, this is one of those places where you can see if they had had a clear vision throughout the whole thing, but they had also just had one person kind of, you know, navigating this whole thing and they had maybe spent some more time to really think out the story ideas, you can see how it would fit. But to me, with what we got in, in 
if you were to just watch this and and or you just watch Force Awakens and this back to back, they make a pretty good duology where there isn't too many questions where I'm like, just what what? I don't know. I agree. I think I think for sure with the sequel trilogy, the biggest thing that hurt it was the continuity. Um, it, it felt like there wasn't a clear plan for the arc to go in until we got to this movie. Um, but I, I, I think that it, I like it better the way that it's ended up as far as any hint of Palpatine, if they had thought of that back when The Force Awakens came out. Um, I like that none of us knew that it was going to end up being Palpatine pulling the strings again. Um, although maybe now looking back, maybe we should have expected it because he's always pulling the strings, right? Yeah, you know, this Matt, time I like he literally had strings on him. So, <laughs> <laughs> and that's the cool thing because I want to go back. I haven't rewatched the Force Awakens and the Last Jedi since I watched this, which I which I want to mm-hmm. do because my perceptions will change. But I agree with you, Matt, that I think it would have been great. In the Last Jedi, if it was something that was hinted, maybe it wasn't revealed that it was Palpatine, but maybe if we heard someone talk about, oh yeah, well the Grand Master, and you're like, well wait, who's who's the Grand Master, or something to that effect, where we're kind of questioning, wait, there's somebody else, there's somebody else out there in the, you know, controlling these bad guys or part of this mm-hmm. First Order, and then when the crawl starts for Episode Nine, Palpatine, you know, then it'll be like, oh, that's who they were talking about. Yeah, True. I think. Um, I think that you can tell here too. I I think this is a place where almost again a three-hour movie might have helped, just to flesh some things out a little bit more and give them some more time. You know, honestly, I think this is where I would have liked more time is 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 to understand some of these things just a little bit more. And with just a little more time to breathe in some of those scenes, you know? So, yeah, I, you know, I think it's a great question, though, Bruce, you know, because I, I think it really does um, speak to, you know, that that's that's what we're you know, with storytelling and, and storytelling structure and all that stuff, what works best and what doesn't, you know? And, and, and Palpatine coming back, uh, you know this, you both know this from Celebration. That's the thing I was most worried about, like, is mm-hmm. this going to ruin what we know of like the Jedi and living forever? And to me, it doesn't because, you know, again, Palpatine is is holding on to the material. He negates the spiritual, you know. Um, for him, spiritual power of the Force is just meant to be used as another weapon instead of something to be learned or you know, become one with or any of those things like it, it is the complete dichotomy of what it means to be Sith and Jedi. And it, it, it ended up working, which I loved. And, you know, JJ Abrams kind of talked about this idea a little bit. And, and I just wanted to read just a little bit before we dive into something else. But he said, you know, the idea of uh, a balance, he said, with bringing balance in the force and the whole point of the chosen one, Anakin and the original trilogy, that he loved that idea of, you know, like balance to the force doesn't mean it's forever. And it's not immediately everlasting. Um, and that if we're not careful, that evil, ultimate evil will rise again. And we have to be proactive about doing something about that balance for every generation. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that, that, again, that's something where bringing Palpatine back brings it all together with the Skywalker saga. But as we talked about earlier with, like, the dyad and stuff... Palpatine is the originator of this thing, right? Because 
he's the one who gives birth to Ray and Anakin, the Skywalkers and themselves, you know, right? Like he's he's the original. So he it makes sense now with the way they did the story for him to be here at the end. Um, and it was it, it was satisfying for me personally. So, um, yeah. I'll, yeah, I'll be interested to see what other people think of it. Um, I just have one request for Disney and Lucasfilm. I want you to make one change to Return of the Jedi when the credits end. And the music's ending. I want to hear Palpatine cackling at the end. <laughs> <laughs> um, what did you guys think of? Uh, obviously, this is a big. I forgot to even put this on the outline, but I was thinking about it uh, before we get to some of the other characters. Leia, you know, Leia being introduced in this movie was a big thing. So, how did it work for you to have her in the film? I think you could tell, um, kind of sadly, that she was physically having some difficulty doing the scenes that she did in this one. I mean, just now knowing obviously that she passed on in real life that um, it just seemed like to me, the scenes that she did have where, you know, she's talking to Ray and everything that she was moving a little slower than she had before um, as an actress. But uh, I still thought that her scenes were great. Um, and I thought that it was an interesting way to go to have Leia being sort of like the Jedi Master for Rey and introducing that Leia had a saber and that Luke helped train her. Um, I didn't necessarily love the um, CG of their faces. I no, still that think was, that, that was the only effect in the movie where I was like, no, this does not work. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it worked for me. <laughs> I loved it. I, I felt like they got it as close as they possibly could, but it just still well, yeah. felt a little weird to me. Um, but yeah, I, I thought she was great. I especially loved getting to have Carrie and Billy Lord in the same movie together. Yes, I thought about that too. Because there's one point where we see Leia and her exchange you know, yeah. something to each other. I can't remember what it was. But you know, all those shots of her all that video of her came from uh, cut scenes from The Force Awakens. So there's there's several times where it kind of took me out because I'm looking at I'm like, oh, I know what scene that came from. Oh, that's from that cut scene from this or that or whatever. So it was a little distracting. And, and like you're saying, Christy, I mean, you know, when it comes to The Force Awakens, I didn't think her performance was on par with how she was in The Last Jedi. I thought she knocked it out of the park in The Last Jedi. So the performance in this wasn't as well done as the last movie, but the idea of her being Ray's master, uh, seeing her with the force that she's been through training, reaching out to Ben it. If you didn't know that she wasn't really there for this movie, I think people would think that she was actually on set. So, yeah. and it works so well in the story. It could have really been so awkward where you watch and go, well, that didn't really fit. And they just kind of shoehorn her in. It fits. It works. And it's not just a cameo; it's central to the storyline. It's central to Ben and Ray's story. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you caught too that they did um, Billy Lord's hair in the braid crown. Yeah, <laughs> it was really sweet. Yeah, this is uh, you know I think for the most part this is definitely a place where they did the best they could with what they have to work with. And yeah, there were you know definitely scenes where. They're working really hard around the dialogue that they have from Carrie. So, you know, mm -hmm. there's, there's, there, and 
And so it doesn't always work perfectly for me, but the way that they use her in the story, you know, I the other part that kind of didn't work as well as I wanted it to for me was her being trained as a Jedi. And I felt like that felt, a, to me, that felt a little shoehorned in. I, and, and part of that is just that it added another plot point there where this movie had a lot of plot points going on. And so I might have thought of, I don't know, doing it differently or something. I don't know. I mean, this is, I think, I think that might be a story, just the storyline in general, again, more time in the movie, like give me a three hour version of this movie. And I think it works a little bit better Mm -hmm. um, because there's just so much happening. And this is just one more thing that was happening. Um, So, but again, I think they did a good job with Leia with what they had to work with and I don't have any problems with it and I think that the moment where she died was good and effective um, but it was most effective when we see Chewie's reaction to it and I'll be honest every time that that happens I tear up even thinking about it just like because that that Wookiee has lost his best friends in the world he's lost Luke he's lost Leia and he's lost Han they're all gone. He's outlived them all. And the pain and there's the the hurt you hear in those those roars was perfectly done. So I think they utilized it to a full effect. Um, I also think they did a good job of allowing her to pass um, and, and allowing it to be one that it feels as good as a death can in a movie, you know, where it's really used for a great purpose to move mm-hmm. the story forward, like you said, Christy for Ray and for for Ben. So all in all, I think what they do with Leia is, is it's as good as you could get it. I mean, you know, they yeah. they really only have so much to work with. So um I can't be upset for them in, in that. So I think it and worked. And they gave they gave her a heroic death. I think yeah, yeah. that was what we were all kind of worried about was, well, obviously they have to do it in some kind of way because Carrie's not here anymore. And I didn't know how they were going to wrap up Leia's story. So the way that they ended up doing it and having her and Ben together, then sort of going in into Ray in a way I really thought was yeah. a good way to handle it. You know, one of the things that bothered me the first time I watched this movie is when um, Maz Kanata gives the medal to Chewie. I'm like, what? She just happened to remember or hear that 35 years ago, he never got a medal. And she's like, oh, wait, I just found this. <laughs> but then the second time I watched it, I noticed that Leia was holding the medal as she lay down to die. You don't, ah. you don't get a really good shot of it, but you do see the outline of it as she lays down, which really meant a lot to me because I thought, well, that may be Han's medal. And she went to die and grabbed his medal that she had on hand. And then Maz Kanata took it after she disappeared and passed it on to Chewie. I just wish yeah. that would have been emphasized more that, yeah. that, that she had the medal in her hand. Yeah, yeah I agree. Um, actually, there's a moment in the Force Collector book where um, Maz Kanata uh, tests the main character Carr to see what he learns from. He hands him the medal. But it's it's not the medal that she thought it was. It's Luke's medal that Han gave to her, saying it was his medal. So <laughs> it was kind of a funny thing to be able to think back. Like, that's why Leia still has Han's medal, because he actually gave away Luke's to, 
<laughs> which was really funny. Mm-hmm. Wow. I just I just got to that scene in that book where Moskana yeah. just came in. So yeah, that's, that's cool. great. Um, so what did you guys think? You know, obviously Poe had a rough go of it in the uh, Last Jedi. And for me, personally, I'll admit Poe has been my favorite character in these sequel movies. So um, what did you think of Poe's arc here and, and his storyline in this movie? Poe's the best. This was my favorite Poe movie, yes. I would say. I mean, he's just, he's the hero now. He's he's learned from his mistakes, and now he's the example to others. And then he's got great interplay with, you know, with Finn, yep. as he always has, but also with Ray. I mean, you really get the idea that these two have gotten to know each other for the past year since uh, The Last Jedi took place. So, um, and just leading the fleet. And I, I, if anything, even seeing him in the Falcon, I was like, I feel like he belongs there. <laughs> you know, like I would see a Poe movie with him and Chewie on the Falcon any day. Yeah, he feels I feel a like, little bit like Han. That's what I was gonna <laughs> say. Yeah. I felt like they're trying to make it like Poe is following in the footsteps of Han, and that now piloting the Falcon is primarily Poe and Chewie, since it can't be Han and Chewie. Um, I, I felt I felt that for sure in the beginning when they're you know trying to meet up with their contact and get some information on the First Order, um, and Poe is crashing into things and Chewie is complaining, and he's like, "I know, I know." <laughs> I love that. Um, and yeah, I mean, exactly what you said, Bruce. I love seeing Poe and Ray get to have more time on screen together. Um, I think that it was adorable, the comedy that they had between Poe, Finn, and Ray in multiple scenes. Um, we never did find out what Finn wanted to tell Ray, and that, you know, Poe then walks in and he says, You mean when Poe's not around? <laughs> Um, and I absolutely loved when uh, they've gone into the sinking fields and Ray ignites her lightsaber and Poe ignites his flashlight. Yes, yes that was amazing. Yes. And he just like, <laughs> well, crap. <laughs> like, well, it did not have the same effect. It just reminded me when I was a kid because I didn't have a play lightsaber. We would take out flashlights yep. and it just wasn't the yeah, same. Yeah, it's still a light beam. It, yep, it's yeah. not the same. No, I... Guys, man, I the 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 interplay with Poe and the other characters was fantastic, and and Oscar Isaac is just so good with dialogue and the snappiness of the dialogue. You know, like that moment when they're they're on, um, Kamiji, and he's like, she's he was like, you were a spice runner, you were a stormtrooper, wait, you were a spice runner, you were a scavenger. We could do this all night. You know, like right. just, he's he's really really funny. Um, or the fight he has with Ray when he gets back, and you know she's mad at him for light speed skipping, and he's mad at her for dropping a tree on his droid. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it just. But what I loved about that is that what it really portrayed is that how these people have spent so much time together over the last year, they're kind of getting on each other's nerves a little bit, but they really do love each other at the same time. And the the dialogue here really portrayed that so well. And what we get here with Poe, I thought was so great. You know, obviously from his storyline um, in uh, the the Last Jedi to here, like he truly is becoming the leader. And there was that moment where there was that moment where or he says to Finn, I'm not Leia. And he's like, that's for damn sure. And it really wakes Poe up, I think, in that moment to say, I need, I do, I need to be like Leia. 
my my role here mm-hmm. is to be the next Leia because she's going to be gone soon. And that reminds him of his role and he really fills that role. But what I love about that too is that then when he turns to Finn and he tells him, he's like, look, I cannot lead alone. I need you by my side. And it's the same thing that Leia did. Leia didn't lead alone. She led with others. Right. And that 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 conversation that he had with Lando then was so important where Lando's like, He's like, how did you guys do it? And he's like, we did it because we had each other. And Poe learns to lean into not just being the hotshot pilot by himself. He leans into leading with others. And I just, I thought it was really great. And Oscar Isaac is perfect in this role. And I couldn't be more happy. Like the fact that they kind of just turned him into the swashbuckling hero um, that works so well in Star Wars. So I, yeah, I, I'm... That and his relationship with Zori Bliss, which in my head canon, yeah, she might have said no then, but they get together in the end. So she ain't gonna say no later. That's right. That's right. <laughs> no, she's not. So not with that hair. Yeah, it, that was another thing that made me feel like it was we're seeing Han and Leia again in a way, is that romance you see between him and Zori is it's not just him being a player or you know flirty or whatever it's like the two of them had been through a lot together long before this when they were running spice together you know she says they were part of a crew and so he's finally back in her life and she and he have that moment where they're sitting together and she says come with me and he's like i can't i can't abandon this rebellion And he sees that responsibility that you have of being a leader is that you can't just run off even though you'd like to. And like you said, Matt, that he realizes that also being a good leader doesn't mean that it's all on you by yourself, that you have to have people to support you and to do it together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I guess, you know, before maybe we get to Finn, uh, let's talk a little bit about my new favorite character, Zori Bliss, who is just the best. You mean has the coolest outfit in the whole movie? Uh, that, and I mean, I I just loved her as a character in this movie. I mean, she she felt a little bit like what, you know, Enfys Nest was in, in Solo, where it's like somebody who has such the cool outfit, only has a few moments, but you're like in love with them as a character. And Star Wars is so good at that. But what I really loved is what she did for Poe's character. I think she really humanizes Poe. And, um, but at the same time, she's an interesting character all on her own. Like, I want to know more about her, but I also would love, you know, I mean, like you said, Christy, she asks Poe to come with her. You can tell she has feelings for this guy and he has feelings for her. And like, I would love to see where that goes because this is the other thing I feel like she added to the story as well is like what you're fighting for, right? Like, and and romantic relationships are what we're fighting for as well, for there to be a hope of the future, that you could have a future with somebody. So the fact that they gave that hope then for Poe to me through her was also great, you know. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I, I love her costume. I love her blasters. I love everything about her. And, and like her interactions with the characters were great. I just want, I just want more Zori everything. Yeah, and I like that the, she gives a backstory to Poe. We find more about him and his relationship with her in the past, so now we've got more of that backstory of who he was. But she's very much 
you know, she's very tough. She's almost like, um, I mean, you can almost see her being like a bounty hunter type, you know? Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. definitely in that. And I, I kind of wish she would have taken off the helmet at the end, but not a big deal. But uh, no, I, I really like the character. I, it was just enough there that she created enough interest because she also is questioning these characters and what they're doing and why they're doing it. And she's pointing out that these characters, you know, and their situation is not like the best situation yeah. to be in. Like, what are you doing and what is who, going who, on who with are you people? Who are you hanging out with that speaks Sith? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so it adds a nice element to that. That's a good point because I forgot about that. Yeah. She definitely was like, who are your friends that are doing this kind of stuff? I don't know if I like these people. Well, and it kind of lets you know, like, you know the mysticism of the Sith for for the everyday person is not a good thing, right? Like, mm -hmm. who are you hanging out with that speaks Sith? That's not a good thing, you know? So, I, yeah, her as a character was just so much fun, and I just want more of her. Um, I'm glad I have her in Lego form, but I, I almost feel like, like you were saying, Bruce, like you could do a great Disney Plus show with, like, her and Poe, Finn and Ray, where they're just having adventures together, right? Like, uh, I all uh, on the Falcon, I wish. you know. Like, I don't know. It just would be great. Um, but I, I quickly just just think, uh, just thinking back to like Poe or whatever. Like, I think they also set him up as being somebody who could be a leader for what will be hopefully a government. You know, like as as a reestablishment of the Republic. You know, for the galaxy and everything. So that was really neat. Um. So now we get to our resident ex-stormtrooper, Finn. And how did you guys feel like we brought a conclusion to his storyline in, in this film? You know, it was interesting. I um, didn't expect to see some of the things that we got out of Finn that we did, um, especially with him leading the ground crew and then you know saying i have an idea for that about how they're going to basically be the ground crew but on a ship um in space was interesting and him being more of a leader um i really liked him having the moment especially with Jana, where he's realizing that he wasn't the only stormtrooper that defected and left the first order i would love to know how you felt about that too bruce I love that because uh, when I saw The Force Awakens, and I think I may have mentioned it here on the 602 Club, that first scene when we see Finn and he basically awakens to, I can't do this. There's this, the way the camera works and the sound, there's this, you know, he's just kind of looking around like in confusion. Mm -hmm. I said at that time, I felt like The Force awoken in Finn, that something in The Force woke him up to the fact that he realized he was doing something wrong and they never played into that and i was just like that's that was just the impression i got from the beginning of the force awakens so when they're showing he's force force sensitive in this movie i'm like that's what i felt at the beginning of the force awakens i just wish that would have been played a little bit more as the other movies continued on but it, it was really great that scene with jet with jana when he's finding out that she's like him and not only that he's not the only one, but she and her whole troop went through that. And she's like, yes, there was something, something that just clicked. And he's like, yeah, 
like the force. And she's like, do you really believe that? And he's like, yeah, I do. And that's like the confirmation for him that, yeah, it's the force that made me this way. And it's the force that did this to you guys. And it just shows to me that these were force sensitive children that were taken by the first order. And maybe the first order didn't realize they were force sensitive, but when they got older, the force clicked in. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was really cool because, you know, the Jedi were always taking children away from families that were force sensitive, but that's not going on anymore because we don't have that Jedi order, Mm -hmm. but now they're going into the first order and turning on them. Yeah. I think that was the best part of Finn in this movie was exactly that having him be force sensitive and then having now that connection to Ray, the way that I felt like we saw Obi-Wan have in the past of being able to sense things happening. I love that we have those moments too, where you see Finn having this force sensitivity where he could say, Oh no, something's happened to Ray or Oh no, you know, Ray then seeing in her, you know, visions with the force that some, that Chewie's okay. Um, you know, she can tell that through the force that he's alive and he's on that ship. Um, so yeah, I think Finn finally getting definite force sensitivity and then saying he really believes it all was the best part of him in this movie. Um, I did kind of think at the back of my mind though of Han being like, that's not how the force works. <laughs> right. But what this really sets up that any stories that take place after this, whether they're books or movies or whatever, we could see Finn as a Jedi being trained as a Jedi by Ray. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, that was my immediate thought was one, everybody was like, what is, what did Finn want to tell Ray? What did Finn want to tell Ray? And I, my immediate thought the whole time, even the first viewing was that he wanted to tell her that he feels like he can feel the force. And JJ confirmed that online, which was kind of cool. Um, and, oh, okay. In an interview he did, which was neat. Um, but no, I, I like this arc. Um, I, I, I didn't know if I would like it if if he turned out to be force sensitive, but I felt like the way they handled it was really well done. I also liked that we kind of went away from, uh, you know, we really saw growth in, in Finn. Obviously, in The Last Jedi, you know, he's more just worried about Rey, but here he really has bought into and it seemed uh, and into the idea of the resistance and really seems to be um, somebody who's trying to learn and to grow as a leader and put any of his skills to use. And then, you know, him running into Janna, I thought was really cool. And that whole group of stormtroopers, because, you know, this question of, of, you know, the stormtroopers being children that were stolen and then, you know, basically brainwashed into being uh, stormtroopers for the First Order. Something really fascinating to me and to see that there were others a lot like clones, you know, who deserted uh, back in the Clone Wars. You know, we, we see that th- did this didn't work for everyone. And for some, it has to do with their force sensitivity. So I, I thought that was really interesting and I really liked Finn's story arc here and and I I think the thing that I love most about Finn is what he also adds to the other characters around him you know his love for Ray and Poe is evident and and he in many ways is kind of like the glue that keeps the that that trinity together and I thought that that was really neat um and they portrayed that well and I what I love too I love that his relationship with Ray is now uh, not about, you know, 
romantic relationships. And I love that his relationship with Poe is about brotherhood. And really what it said to me is that these three, it's about friendship. You know, and friendship is so important, whether it's with the opposite sex or with somebody who, you know, same sex, you know, friendship is so important. And and that's what allows them to do the things they do because they have each other. And that was what we talked about earlier with that the idea of that theme that, that Lando brings to Poe, you know, like we did it because we had each other. So I, I really appreciated that playing out so well with Finn too. Um, uh, and one what thing you- I meant to ask you guys uh, real quick was too with Finn, what did you think of him continually trying to jump in and save or help Ray and her finally using the force to push him away and say, no, you can't get involved in this right now. Because I really liked that. Well, I liked it too because, you know, she's protecting him. She's always looking out for him. Mm-hmm. And it, it, But the thing that I really liked most about the scene was, you know, uh, Jaina didn't know if she should really believe in the Force. And he's telling her it's real. And now she just saw it happen. Not just from mm-hmm. the Force push, but them jumping from one section of the Death Star to the other over all these waves. So if anything, it was like, for her, it was like, oh my gosh, this really is real. Yeah, well, and then I guess, too, she would have seen Ray force push Finn back. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so she's even more like, whoa. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I think that that whole scene was great because, again, you can tell these are two people who really care about each other. And, mm-hmm. you know, in that moment, obviously, yeah, Ray's trying to protect Finn, but she just, the other part of it is she does not have time to think about his safety. You know, so she's trying to push him out of the way because she only has one thing to think about, and that is facing down Kylo at that point. So, no, I, I, I liked again. I love the way that these three got to be in a relationship together. You know, like we got to see the relationship between our main characters because the first movie we don't really spend a lot of time with the main characters all together. You know, most of it is uh, Finn and and Ray for a, a bit. But Poe really never gets to be a part of things. And, of course, in The Last Jedi, they're not together at all, really. And this movie is the only time we've gotten to spend time together with everyone. And this is the movie that just really solidified the fact that I was right in liking these characters from The Force Awakens. I just needed to spend time with them together. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm really glad that J.J. and and Chris Terrio put them together. So um, we have the droids play a pretty large role in this movie um, especially 3PO and so I wanted to ask you guys what you how you felt about the role of you know the droids we had and especially since you know 3PO and we got a new droid with Dio well one of the things I said when I came out of the movie was uh, we're getting to have too many droids Um, not that I didn't like Dio but you know we're really getting less and less of R2-D2 which is kind of sad. Uh, really, BB-8 is filling that role. and But I was glad to see we got a lot of C-3PO. That was pretty cool. He had a big role. I love seeing him walking around, uh, running around in a cloak. <laughs> that was yeah. pretty funny to me <laughs> with his glowing eyes. And uh, just, you know, getting his memory wiped and, and wanting to be there for his friends and doing his sacrifice for them. So there was a lot of great moments for C-3PO. Um, again, not much for R2-D2. Dio, I mean, was fine. Didn't add a whole lot 
for me in this in this film because I felt like he was just being like another BB-8. Uh, and of course, I always love BB-8, so he he's cool. So it was great to see him rolling around. Yeah, I think 3PO for sure had the best role of all the droids in this one. And I love how they're tying it back to even the very beginning of seeing 3PO that, you know, he has this capability of translating millions of languages. And then the one time that they need him to translate specifically, he can't do it because his programming. He won't talk. The one time we want him to talk and he won't. <laughs> right. <laughs> that that was brilliant. Uh, and I love that we finally got an explanation for the red eyes. Because, you know, in the marketing, we knew that he was going to have them at some point, but didn't know why. And it's yeah. only for him to translate the runish language of the Sith from that dagger. Um, and and I love how even the voice tone changes for 3PO when he's speaking it. It's like much more dark and creepy. Yeah, very sinister. Yeah. Um, it Much better a reason for red eyes than the red arm. So thank God yes. for that. Um, yeah. And can I just... Oh, you might not recognize me with the red yeah, eyes. It's true. I, I, you know, <laughs> I didn't for a second. Uh, I, okay, I don't really like 3PO that much, but I think this was the best use of 3PO in any single Star Wars movie I've ever seen. Like, we actually used 3PO mm -hmm. for something, you know, um, and... We used him for his tra translating ability, and we used him um, humor-wise. All of uh, the humor for three PO here was not obnoxious, but it just worked. Um, I, which is shocking for me to say, because I would mm -hmm. never have said that in just about any other Star Wars movie. Like in, in in the Force Awakens, he's used so obnoxiously. Like that whole part about with the red arm and everything. It's just it's it's awful humor. This felt really Star Warsy, and like when he's talking about like the the festival, you know, and he's like, mm -hmm. "It's known for its colorful kites and its delectable sweets," and they all just kind of look at him, like, "But that, you know, that's what he is. He's a protocol droid. He's meant to right. know these things, you know." And so, like, that was a funny moment. Um, Did you like so, when he said it's been going on for forty two years? Yes. But that was cute to me. Uh, but I'm going to tell Anthony Daniels what you said. So your time is coming, Matt. <laughs> well, he'll probably, you know, hate me just as much as he hates Anthony Carboni. So, um, you know, I think, um, you know, what was interesting to me about Dio is that he reminds me of BD-1 and the uh, Jedi Fallen Order, where he's a new droid that has important information for the mission from his previous master. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I like BB-8, but BB-8 really be was a, a almost replacement for R2-D2, whereas yeah. Dio had a reason story-wise, like, he's this abused, neglected droid, which Rey, in her kindness, you know, much like, kind of like Qui-Gon in, in The Force Awake, I mean, in The Phantom Menace, you know, helping out those things that other people may discard or look down on, she doesn't, you know? And through that, they're able to accumulate a friend, you know, uh, acquire a friend that ends up being instrumental of them being able to then get to where they're going later on. And so right. it's like one little tiny act of kindness. So uh, I will mention too, Bruce, I, I also, I'm a huge R2 fan. And so the fact that he doesn't get a ton to do in these movies is really annoying. But I loved this movie that he's flying with Poe. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, that was I wish great. that was focused on a little more. I wish there was more interaction between Poe and R2 Me in too. those scenes. Yes. Although I did love, though, it was very sweet that they had R2 be the one that was with Leia when she died. Yes. Well, and, and yeah. what I loved about that too, Christy, you're absolutely right, because think about this. R2 is the one who knows the entire Star Wars story. Right. And he's there for, you know, another pivotal moment in the Star Wars history um, as we knew it in the Skywalker saga. So absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. And just to, and just real quick um, that Maz Kanata was there when Leia disappears. I like the use of Maz Kanata so much more in this movie than the last one because she was yeah. barely used and it gave her reason like, oh, she's there. She is helping the resistance. So I was glad we got more Maz Kanata in this movie. And she finally got to be with her boyfriend. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Chewbacca. Uh, yeah, I, I wasn't a huge fan of Dio either. I mean, he was kind of cute, but um, it wasn't no, until no, no, I saw No, that... thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And his voice, uh, apparently he was voiced by JJ, by the way. Um, yes. And I, I like the way that they did his speaking, that it was a little bit choppy and um like he uh had malfunctions all the time but he didn't really matter to me until he actually provided that purpose of talking about ochi and about palpatine and what purpose he had served in the past and that giving the rebels something to go on um but otherwise he was really just there to look cute what did you guys think of babu frick i love babu frick Yeah, I thought he was cute. And I, the third time I saw the movie was with my wife. This is her first time seeing it. And I thought, I wonder if she'll like, because she keeps around the house all the time going, baby Yoda, baby Yoda, baby Yoda. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I wonder if she's going to like Babu Frick. And sure enough, every time he appeared, she was like laughing and giggling. So I knew she loved him. <laughs> so now next time I see your wife, I'm going to have to be like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> hey, woohoo. <laughs> Oh, he's one of my oldest friends. Um, <laughs> I I thought he was really fun. You know, I, to me, uh, Babu Frick was the the essence of of that George Lucas whimsiness, where it's just this like goofy, random, out of sight, like out of my, like nothing you would have thought of kind of character. You know, when you're thinking uh, a a droid blacksmith, right? You know, mm-hmm. black market droid dealer. Uh, and I thought he was great. Uh, he is definitely not cuter than Baby Yoda, so no, back no. off, Babu Frick. No, no, no. Um, but he <laughs> is a lot of fun, and so I, again, he just he fits the Star Warsiness. So I mean, to me, it's the it's the perfect type of character to introduce in these movies, where it's just a random. It's a, he kind of reminded me how much I love Dex in Episode Two. You know, like <laughs> yes. small random character role. But it's a character that I kind of immediately gravitate towards just because there's just something about them. So really well done yeah. in that creation. Yeah, I like it when Zori's in her ship and, you know, Poe's like, oh, my gosh, it's you, Zori, you came, you came. And then Bobby Frick pops up, hey, Yeah, that was great. <laughs> yeah. like, you made it. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to ask you guys about a bunch of different things that all kind of fall into the same category, which is the Sith. But... In that, we had, like, the Wayfinder, Exegol, the Knights of Ren, the answer we got for Snoke. So, what did you, how did you guys feel about those things and the way that they play into the movie? 
I think that the Knights of Ren could have been done a little bit better, but I mean, at least we got them. I mean, as much as they had teased the Knights of Ren and, you know, Kylo becoming who he was and everything, I wanted the Knights of Ren to come about at some point in the movies. So I'm glad we finally got them. I'm glad that you have them kind of following Ray, uh, Poe and Finn (laughs) as they're traveling around. Um, and then Kylo having to fight them, um, when he turns on the Sith. But I think that. I would have liked to have had a little more explanation of how they came to be, um, you know, and, and maybe seeing their faces or knowing their story just a little bit more. One thing I've always wanted in Star Wars movies after the original trilogy is I always wanted to see Vader's castle or like a Sith homeworld and those sort of things. And so I was really pleased that we got some of this in this movie. Um, the Knights of Ren... Honestly, I could care less about. They were mentioned in The Force Awakens. I'm with you, Christy. I'm glad we got to see them, but they didn't add anything to this for, for me. Yeah. They could you could have just had a group of stormtroopers following Kylo Ren around and it would have could have played out the same way. I mean, it just it just didn't see it just seemed like something where JJ's like, Oh, yeah, well, uh came up with these Knights of Ren. I gotta put them in here. I'll do something with them. Mm-hmm. It didn't really do anything. But everything else about uh, you know, the Acolytes and the Wayfinder and or the two Wayfinders. I like that because these were tools of the Sith. And this is something that the Sith used. And this is like something that Kylo's looking for. It's that whole mystery of Sith and darkness. And I like to hear and see more of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm with you, Bruce, on that for sure. And and it felt even too like a follow up to what Maul got to do in Rebels you know, um, and then with things that in the Clone Wars with like Dathomir and everything, all of that yeah. lore of like the mystery of the unnatural part of the Sith um, and getting to see the Sith temple and how you have to go underground. And it seems like this ancient space with all of these statues and stuff that's been there for years and years and years. Yes. I want to visit it. I know. <laughs> like You and I consider each other part of the dark side. <laughs> it would be cool. Yeah, I'm here. You know, I I totally agree with you guys about the the Knights of Ren, and I think I think the problem with the Knights of Ren is that there's there's no real reason for them to be in the movie. I feel like other than because JJ wants them in the movie. And I think that this is one of those places where if he had done the second movie, we probably would have had the Knights of Ren in that movie, right? True. Um, and so it would have made much more sense <laughs> um, to to be able to have them there. Uh, and, you know, I... I Seeing it a few more times and and reading the uh, illustrated guide, you know they're they're kind of force sensitive, so they're force sensitive to the abilities of of like a inquisitor would have been. So, but to to think of them as you know uh, Kylo's inquisitors made sense for them to also be on the trail of Rey, you know, and that he would send them and he would have them on this mission. So that part made sense, and you know it added some some something cool for you know him to have to fight on Exegol. 
um, making his way to to Rey and the Emperor, but they don't have enough of the purpose in this movie that I would want. And I think that's another place where, again, like think about this. If the prologue of the movie was more like 10 minutes where you got to spend with Ren and his knights searching for the Wayfinder, you know, on Mustafar together and going through the Mm -hmm. ruins of the castle and stuff, you might have felt like they were more needed. Um, I love the fact that, you know, the... You know, we finally see, like you said, Bruce, this this uh, Sith temple, this this Sith world. Um, and it honestly reminded me, it looks like an upside down pyramid. So it kind of reminded me almost of like an upside down mortis, um, which was cool. Having the acolytes of the beyond, which we've read about in books there and that realizing that that's what all those people are in the stands, you know, um, there and this 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 giant, you know, Sith arena. <laughs> The throne room Sunday, arena. Sunday, Sunday, um, <laughs> You know, Ray becomes a Sith. Uh, I thought was great. And then, you know, I thought it was really neat too because the the Wayfinder, um, and it made, immediately the first time it made me think of this, but then it was confirmed in the visual guide. Um, in the Battlefront 2 game, there's that, epi- the, there's that part of the game where you're Luke Skywalker and you're on Pilio and you find this compass. And it's a Jedi compass. Um, and it's it's similar to the Sith Wayfinder. So I just really loved that we had all these things kind of play into the movie. And honestly, I'm glad we finally got an answer for Snoke. And to me, the answer that we got for Snoke was very satisfying. It made sense. It fit. Um, and it even kind of fit then with The Last Jedi of dispatching him so quickly that really he was just a tool all along. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think they did a perfect job with that stuff. I agree, because I really was afraid they'd go into too much explanation. Well, you know, Snoke, who was this and that, because I sent him on a room, and I'd blah, 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 be like, okay, we're trying to justify Snoke, and now we're going to dump his whole backstory on you. It was just kind of a throwaway, you know? It's like, mm-hmm. and that's all we needed, you know? Ah, yes, I created Snoke, and Snoke was doing work for me that's really all we need to know oh yeah and look i'm i was making more of them he, he had some extras just in case right <laughs> <laughs> extra snokes for everyone <laughs> one gets cut in half you have a replacement Those are all the leftover like action figures that nobody bought <laughs> <laughs> i got a pack of snokes in here. anybody want to snoke any of them snoke if you got them <laughs> yeah it, uh. i think um Two, if you think about it, this was really for people that have not read any of the books or seen any of the animated shows. This was the first time they're getting to see more about the background of the Sith and sources of their power and all of the mystery with like the Wayfinder and things like that. So um, for people like my sister, for example, who's um, the average fan that is not as involved in Star Wars all the time as I am, that was a big deal because she's finally getting some answers. Um, and then, too, I, I the, my favorite scene of this entire movie was finding out that Palpatine could shoot force lightning to the entire galaxy at once. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, Christy, just like your husband, that that reminded me of the cover of Heir to the Empire, where 
yeah Sabaloth is shooting force lightning into the sky you know so absolutely um that was really awesome so i yeah i thought all of that stuff really worked now on the other side i wanted to ask you guys about you know we have the first order and the final order and you know we had some new character we have hux back we've got this new character legion pride we've got a new fleet a new sith army new sith troopers um how did all of that stuff work for you uh, I was saying that Hux pulled a callus and decided to defect. <laughs> <laughs> Although not quite as all al- Not quite as much. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I don't care if you win. I just don't want Kylo to win. <laughs> um, but I-, I felt like he died a little too soon. I was kind of sad for Hux. Um, but at General Pride fascinated me. I, re- I would really like to know what he meant by saying, I fought for you in the old wars. Yes. Pride I was very fascinated with. You know, now that I think about it, out of all the new characters introduced in this film, he might be the one I'm more interested in to learn more about. Yeah. I really like that character. And I Richard him E. So Grant. Much better than Hux. Yes. The actor playing General Pride, uh, he actually has been a villain in a lot of other things. He was in Doctor Who as well. Uh, but he just yes, brilliant. He is. And I like how Hux went out, you know? Bam. Done. Pride's done. Just, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I just, that I loved. I thought that was a great scene. I, I really enjoyed that. Did you like uh, Sith- Hux getting shot in the leg instead of the arm? <laughs> yeah, I like that. And, he, and I like Hux's response. He's like, you know, I don't care about you. you know, I'm doing this because I'm trying to, whatever, Kylo Ren, you know, yeah. trying to beat him. You know, I want him to lose. Uh, I did also love, by the way, um, when Hux is asking Kylo if he wants him to go and do something and Kylo doesn't even let him finish the sentence because of his mistakes previously. Kylo has no faith in Hux anymore. and He just puts up a finger like not another peep out of you. (laughs) Right. I'm done with you. (laughs) You're a screw up. I'm done. Yeah, I the way they played Hux in this movie it just fit with everything else they've done with Hux and that you know they they didn't try to go back and make him serious again after he turned out to be such a boob in the second movie <laughs> you know uh so i appreciated that they didn't even try i didn't really have a problem with him turning out to be the spy and i i you know, thought that the reason for him being the spy made sense with that character like He's just a petulant child, you know, like he just doesn't want the other boy to win. So, you know, and to me, that works with who we know of that character. Um, I, I, I thought pride was really cool because he actually brought some of that menace back to the, you know, the idea of a final order, like him being the one who might be in charge of this final order with Palpatine, you know, he's, He's like those old school uh, imperial officers that are scary, you know. He's like a and new Tarkin. Be- yeah, and it's not. Yeah, it's not because he's like yelling all the time and like frothing at the mouth like an idiot, you know. No, he's cold and calculating, and like you know, he's he just has evil behind his eyes. So I really liked that, and just what I also loved, and this is just somebody who you know, is a huge fan of, of reading everything in the new canon that I have. Like, I finally love that we got all of the answers to what all of the observatories that Palpatine had, the the reasons he was he was um, probing into the unknown regions. Um, 
this is the answer. It's 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 the answer of Exegol. It's the answer of having that place that's hidden that he could steal away to if everything went south and start over. And to me, I know some people had a problem with it, but the idea of, of every Star Destroyer now having a planet-killing weapon on it made so much sense because we all know the Star the Death Star was the dumbest idea ever. But now that every, you know, planet can be held hostage with a gun literally pointed to its planetary head, um, I liked that. I thought that that made sense, you know. Um, See, I didn't. That was probably the thing I didn't like the most. And only because it takes away for me some of the Death Star and even Star Killer base. Because it's like the Death Star, you have to use something the size of a moon. And Star Killer Base, you have to use the size of a planet to get enough energy to just destroy a planet. And you're using cyber, a huge cyber crystal in the Death Stars to make it happen. And now the these ships can just shoot a laser. But well, at hey, the man, same it's time, it's technological thinking, advancement, right? Right. Well, that's what I was going to say. And that's the thing. You could say, well, over time, technological advancement. But gee, really, they put so much effort into. Well, I don't know. I don't know really why they would have done Starkiller Base if they had these ships in waiting. Well, yeah. but they didn't know about the Emperor, remember? Like, there are only yeah. a few people that know about that. And what I loved is that the visual guide finally uh, clarified that it the Starkiller Base was Ilum that they had mined Ilum, and that's how they had been able to create a weapon of such massive destruction because it literally is a, a, a kyber crystal-type planet. That's where the Jedi went to get their kyber crystals. So mm-hmm. it's a planet that's rich with kyber crystals, and so I was like, I was glad that happened. But to me, it just, John and I had talked about this in, in aggressive negotiations, this idea of Star Wars, like, wouldn't it be better just to create a larger fleet than to have one Death Star. And so yes. this seemed to be the answer to that was like, well, we created a bigger fleet and they all have weapons that if you're if you're not gonna be with us, we'll just destroy your planet. You know? Well right. and so. what I did like about that is when you see the Death Star and Star Killer base, as soon as they hit a planet, boom, it explodes. This one drills into the planet for a while and then it starts to break apart. Yeah, it's apart. not immediate. So it's not right. as Right, exactly. So it does. it's not as powerful, but can still get the job done. And the way that I kind of rationalize the fleet as well, too, is I'm thinking that one, over time, Palpatine and the Sith have learned to get around that problem of having only one weapon that then the rebels destroy and then they've got nothing left to do it with. Um, and so they've created multiple. And then also right. that through something mysterious with the Sith power and the force and everything that Palpatine was able to sort of in a way of like raising the dead, he's raising this fleet that he's had in waiting and that maybe the, you know, the dead have been brought back to life and that's who's on all of these fleets of star destroyers. Where, where all these, yeah. Who are all those people on those star destroyers? So that's how I out? rationalized yeah. it. So that's one thing they did. I mean, this is, you have to read a book, but they did answer that in the visual guide that the Star Destroyers are much more dependent on automation and that that they are children that have been raised by the Acolytes. So that maybe some of those children that's stolen for the First Order. And this could be going, I mean, we have no idea how long Palpatine's been like building up this fleet there like this could Mm -hmm. have been happening all the way i mean you think about the 
throughout the galactic civil war and everything, all of these things could be happening then, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. oh, we don't yeah. necessarily know. So if I put that into my brain, I'm like, okay, so that makes sense that you could build up this this massive fleet and you know you could be raising these children with mm-hmm. these you know acolytes who you know um will turn them into basically just you know sith automatons um so or it uh, yeah, could have been I'd, clones that could have been something like that too yeah. you never know could have been so, a mix of all that he saved yeah. some but i do kind of <laughs> love too that you know kept them in a drawer <laughs> the um the empire has always kind of been a, a, akin to, you know, the Nazis and, and for the, the final order, you know, just reminded me obviously of Hitler's final solution, mm-hmm. you know, um, and that their final solution is, is to be a power so great that the, the galaxy has no, no choice. Um, so, and I, you know, it was, it was a good thing. It, and, it, and, and instead of, it just being one massive super weapon again, it became something where it's like, this is literally the entire galaxy now, you know, is, is mm-hmm. at risk. Um, so I just, I like that. Um, so if I have any real major problem with this movie, it's that there are too many reversals. And the, my biggest one is the chewy one is that they, they they tell you Chewie's dead, and then immediately they tell you Chewie's not dead. And every time I see this movie, I just think to myself, JJ, if you edit out the scene where you find out Chewie's alive, and you don't find out Chewie's alive until um, Kajimi, th- that's so much more effective. Because then, truly, you are left hanging, thinking that this character is dead for a good ten minutes. And when the characters then are like, oh, we're going to do it for Chewie, but you're, then you're thinking to yourself, well, but Chewie's not really dead. I mean, I know they don't know that, but we know that as the audience, and it kind of ruins some of that moment where I just feel like, and then it happens over and over again in this movie. It happens with Zori Bliss, you know, them destroying Kamiji, and then you're like, oh, it's not, she's not on the planet because she's still alive now. It happens with 3PO and his memory, Obviously, it happens with Ben, you know, like him getting thrown over and then, he, you know, so it's like it happens at least four times, if not more in this movie. And, and it's too many. And, and, and I think they could have fixed it. One, I think they should have left 3PO's memory blank. Um, yeah. And I think Chewie, you shouldn't have known Chewie was alive until Ray senses Chewie on Ren's destroyer. I I agree with you. I this is one of the things that drives me crazy sometimes about JJ is he does this type of thing where you know like when when I thought Chewie was dead, I was like, "Wow. Okay, he went there. That that's pretty yes. cool to me." You know? And then I also feel like you're saying instead of waiting to play that out later, I feel that they're and when I say they, I mean JJ Kathleen Kennedy, Disney, we don't want the audience to f- be sad for very long. We don't want them to feel like Chewie really is gone. We don't want to. So let's just let's hold that off for a couple minutes and then reveal that. But let's not play that out too long. And, you know, people aren't going to like that C3O's memories wipe. So 
again, let's let's bring that back. Like I feel like there's so much catering to the audience because I feel like there's they're a little afraid that they're going to upset people, you know. And I'm just like, it is going to be upsetting if C3PO doesn't remember. It is going to be upsetting if Chewie's gone. But let's stick with it. It gets back to what I said before about you know Palpatine dies. Oh no, not really. Maul dies. Oh no, not really. It's like all these reversals. When there's too many, it gets to be old, you know, and it also gets to be a bit predictable. I I agree to a point. I feel like 3PO's memory should have stayed wiped. I even thought it was kind of funnier that then he's reintroducing himself to everyone that he already knows. Um, But yeah, I, I think that 3PO could have stayed with his memory wiped. And I think that you didn't have to have that additional scene of Ray realizing that Chewie was alive until later, then that you could have them reunite and then you would know he's alive at that point. Um, but I felt like um, with Zori, it didn't really bother me because she wasn't really a key character that much anyway. Um, and with Ben, it made sense for him to, you to think he died and then for him to come back and then, you know, the transfer of the force between he and Ray. Yeah. When Snoke pushes, uh, not Snoke, when Palpatine pushes, you know, Ben, you know, and he falls away. I'm like, okay, another person that falls down, 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 down. Yeah. He's not dead. He's going to come back up. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, he climbs back up. They always do. If anybody falls in Star Wars, they get themselves back up again. It's like the commercial. I've fallen and I can't get up. No, mm-hmm. they will get up. Well, eventually. Mace Windu did not. This well, is true. That, so far. Yeah. <laughs> just, just wait. Just wait. I keep waiting, seriously, for Mace Windu to come back. <laughs> but I think, I, you know, I, I think one of those things, too, it's like in this movie, you know, you all, you, you have Leia sacrifice herself you'll have been at the end sacrifice himself you know the only other major character major character quote-unquote that we know that's going to die here is going to be snap wexley um so i think again just allow that moment with chewy to play out for that 10 minutes and you're really worrying the audience in a good way like who's at risk here because if chewbacca mm-hmm. goes like that's like is lando next you know like so i think you know that's just something that bother me like you said bruce that's kind of a a thing that jj seems to like to do but but also it was that you were playing the same trick too many times and it's like yeah it gets old it's itself within the movie and so yeah that that's something that just i think bothered me about the film in that it it just it it couldn't stick to some of the the things that it was doing and i think again i think again with 3po it's like isn't that allowing 3PO to make the sacrifice? Like he's willing to sacrifice everything he is for what he believes in and then taking that away from him. Like wouldn't it have been so much cooler to have 3PO remember because R2-D2 then tells him the story of Star Wars. Like right. that's better than him even just like giving his memory back that way. Like if you want to give 3PO the memory back, allow that to be something where at the end of the movie, you see those two characters together and, and and R2 is like, well, let me tell you a story. And so that you realize by the end of the movie, he's going to get his memory back. But that's so much more palatable than two seconds later. It's, you know, he's he's again, he's got his memory back. So, right. Yeah. Well, you know, when I always work under the assumption that when Anakin built C-3PO, C-3PO had lived before. 
Anakin was just putting parts back together, but that hard drive in uh, that represents his memory was wiped. And before that, he and R2-D2 were together before. Like, they've been together for hundreds, if not thousands of years. That's my headcanon. So this hmm. would have been in the end with, oh, his memory's wiped again. They have to get to know each other yep. all over yeah. again, and R2 has yep. to take the lead. <laughs> yeah, I want I that to be a that. book now. You should write that. I'll do that right after we finish <laughs> recording. Um, so I forgot to ask you guys, but I think it, we should probably... What did you think of Lando's inclusion? Like, was it warranted? Did it work well enough for you guys? Were you happy to have him back? I was so, so glad to have him in this. And I think that he absolutely served a purpose. Um, For one, to mourn also the loss of Leia. I thought it was really nice having him say, give Leia my love. And then later showing visibly on his face toward the end before Jana comes over to him that he's realizing that all of his friends are gone. Um, and and it's really nice having the moment when he and Chewie get reunited. Um, I think that it, it really especially, though, is the most important part for Lando that he gets to give advice to Poe on how to lead and that he's not alone. Um, and that the only way that the rebels were able to do so much with so little was by working together and by believing that they could. And to add to that, I like how Lando expressed that he and Luke had been working together. Oh, and yes. Had been yeah. on more missions. Yeah. That, yeah, that he and Luke were together in the um, Pasana Desert. I really, you know, I liked that Lando was in the film. I think um, I'm a little bit sad that they cut down the role that they had for him because there was supposed to be more to the story ab- about mm-hmm. what he and Luke were doing and why he had stayed on Pasana. And the reason was is because the First Order had come after the children of the leaders of, you know, the, the New Republic and the Resistance. And he hit back in the day and his kids were missing. And so that Jana, you know, that whole storyline and, and it, it's OK enough for the way they have it. But I feel like just having more again, more time. I feel like there are scenes. Almost that just we it would have been great to have spent a little bit more time with Lando there in Pasana and like them really like maybe even get to sit down inside that crawler thing and, you know, have a drink and him like tell a little bit of a story in, in the same way that, um, you know, you, you get in some of the, the other Star Wars movies, just take a breath and like have this moment like and, and two, what that does is it also kind of just kind of fills in the time period, you know, like, again, there's still so much of this time period. We don't really, truly know, like we got little pieces of like with that story, we got a piece of what Luke was doing and what Luke was worried about and like. It was adding to who Luke was and everything. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I just, that's where those moments I just want to, I, I kind of want more information and I want more of the story. And I know they could probably write a book about it, but having it there in the movie would have been great. And I just like what they did with Lando was great. I think Billy D was very good in the movie. Um, I just would have been cool to have him just for, you know, few five minutes more to really have him tell the story of what he and Luke were doing. Cause it, I feel like we got the super short version. Yeah. Well, that's the problem with a lot of these movies now. It's like, they're trying to cram so much in and that's why 
these series, you know, on Netflix and Disney Plus and Hulu and Prime, all these things, that's why these series work so well, because you can spend time on the stories. I mean, think of if this were a series on Disney Plus, there'd probably be a whole episode just devoted on that whole Lando situation and his backstory and him telling his story. And mm-hmm. and then we go to the next chapter in this, in this broad story and focuses on another character and all just starts to add up and the pieces start to link. But man, we, in the movies, we got to hit it hard. We got to hit it fast. We can't got to keep the energy going. We don't want anybody want to get up and get popcorn because it's just moving so fast. You know, we, and yeah. we cram so much in that we have to cut scenes. You know, because you got to have a lot of action. So we got to fill the action in there and can't have a lot of downtime. But did you love, though, how they've tied this together with not only all of the other episodes, but also I wondered if there had to be some reason that an episode of The Mandalorian came out the day before we were able to go see The Rise of Skywalker. And then I realized what the connection was. It was the capability of force users to heal people. Yes. Because Baby Yoda does that in that episode. And then the next day we went to see Rise of Skywalker and Ray does it. Yeah. Yeah. That no, was fun. I, I thought that's pretty cool. Yeah. I made sure my wife saw The Mandalorian bef- like right before we left for the theater. Yeah. But I saw it reverse because I saw the movie first and then I saw The Mandalorian. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that was great. That little connection. I, I really appreciated that. Um, yeah. I think, you know. That's just, you know, when it comes to Lando, like, and and if there's anything that I I think this movie could have done better, where it, in and of itself, like, obviously can't go back in time and, like, change the way they create the sequel trilogy, but I feel like, man, gosh, 15, 20 minutes more of this movie would have been fantastic, and that would have helped flesh out all these stories for somebody like, you know, the Lando part, and and getting more backstory with the, the, that, um, so... Last but not least, before we touch on one last thing that I want to get to after this, how did, I mean, you know, we got Luke Skywalker comes back and as a force ghost has a conversation with Ray. Um, how did that work for you guys? I feel like Luke's moment of coming back was basically undoing his story from The Last Jedi and I was okay with it. Because that was my biggest problem with The Last Jedi was that I felt like the characterization of of Luke as a person who could possibly ever think about striking down his nephew was not ever someone that Luke Skywalker would be. That he was always the person that was inherently good and would not make that mistake. Um, And so in this movie, I feel like the moment of him catching the lightsaber when Rey goes to burn it and saying a Jedi's weapon deserves more respect is like him saying my story deserved more respect. Um, that was just me, but that's how I took it. And uh, I I like the direction that they took Luke in this movie. Um, definitely, it felt like a continuation of where we were going initially in The Force Awakens. And then also really getting the satisfaction of seeing Luke raise the X-Wing finally, um, seeing him really being that positive mentor for Rey that she wanted him to be, and then getting to see her wear his helmet and fly his (laughs) X-Wing. Yes. So the first time I saw the movie, the scene that I choked up the most was when he was lifting the X-Wing out of the water. 
That's what got me the most. If anything, I felt that this movie helped support the Last Jedi storyline of Luke and the fact that at the end of The Last Jedi, Luke learned his lesson, came back into saving the Resistance and being involved. And if anything, then he expresses the lesson he learned in this movie. He let fear get to him. And the reason I felt this movie supports what he was going to do to Ben and the consideration of maybe striking Ben is because now that we know that Palpatine is behind the scenes and he's pulling the strings. One thing that always, something that I always wondered from The Last Jedi was the statement where Ray says to Luke that she feel, felt the good in him, but Luke didn't. Luke did not feel the good in Ben. And I kept thinking, why does not Luke, why does Luke not feel the good in Ben, but Ray does? And I kind of think that there was something that Palpatine was doing behind the scenes that was putting a shadow over the good of Ben so that Luke would not detect the good in him where he was distracted in the return in return of the Jedi, where Luke was sensing the good in Anakin or invader. So to me, there's a lot of things in this that kind of support or, or give more weight or validate some things in the last Jedi with Luke's character and with Ray returning to the Island and giving up also, it just shows that Ray is going through that same path that Luke is where I'm afraid that I'm going to make things worse. I'm afraid that I could go to the dark side. There's always that fear. And what Luke says is, you know what? I learn you can't fear that. You have to face your fears. Don't do what I did, Ray. And I think that's a good lesson because his failure, as Yoda says, his failure is to take that and teach what to do right to your students. And that's what Luke did. Yeah, I agree with you, Bruce, and and, and you know, I, you know me. That's a really hard thing for me to say. Um, I I felt like it it did utilize the story that they had from the last Jedi to the best of their ability, and really make something of it. And I appreciated that, but I also appreciated Luke saying he was wrong. You know, because mm-hmm. I think what it does is that it reinforces that what I thought of Luke was true, you know? And I like that that's not the last word we had on Luke Skywalker. You know, that this is the last word, and it's a good one. And and it's a good lesson, and it shows him to be... And I think... Gosh. JJ was talking about this in an interview, but, like, the fact that Luke can make a mistake, you know, it's good to be able to know that even heroes can make mistakes, you know, they're there and that's good. Um, but what I love is, is that it's not, but a true hero is one who, who finds a way to overcome their mistakes. And Luke is able to do that. And I think that was what really helped in the movie. And I really appreciated that. So, um, and, uh, you know, yeah, when he walks out and he's like, what are you doing? You know, it's great. Now, a criticism that I've heard, um, you know, is that they forgot that Luke's X-wing he had and he had taken one of his S foils and turned it into the door of his hut, which he had because it's in the the Last Jedi uh, visual dictionary. I was just looking it up. So to be able to fly Luke's X-wing, they shouldn't be possible. 
to fly it anymore because one of its S foils is n- now a door. Um, well, they put the door back into the X wing, I guess. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah I'm just gonna let that off go. Of <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna let that go. But I'm also gonna think to myself, you know, Luke's a Force ghost, right? And what if he had the citizens that were there on the island? What if he took the X-Wing out of the water and had them fix it so that when Ray came, as he knew he she probably would one day, you know, like I can I can think of reasons in my head why it's like the, the X-Wing's back to fixed, you know, like mm-hmm. and it doesn't really ruin that moment for me. Like I just it's too great a moment for me to care. And again, I like the moment so much, I'll rationalize it in my head. So, like, I think it was a beautiful moment for him to pull that up for her and, you know, her for her to be able to to fly, you know, his X-Wing. And, and, and be, basically, in many ways, like, she's continuing on the role of the Skywalker, right? Like... Mm-hmm. It, she's in his X-wing, and and just it was kind of beautiful. So, and I love when they say, uh, "Red Five is flying by." Yes, yes, that yeah. was great. I also love it when they're like, "Hey, we're getting a message from Luke Skywalker." Oh yeah, they said R two yeah. is getting a message from Luke Skywalker, and everyone's like, yeah. "What?" <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. So this is obviously the uh, final score that we will ever get from John Williams. Uh, for a Star Wars film, and uh, obviously that's, ugh, it just breaks my heart. Um, but what did you guys think of his work here for this uh, final Skywalker film? I thought he made a good bartender. That was it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> he is a yeah, good I bartender. Yeah, the first time. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, b- brilliant. I mean, you know, how could you not like John Williams' music? I, I think that. Getting to bring back, in particular, all of the individual character themes at the right moments is the biggest um, emotional driver for me and really made me happy. You know, I mean, for sure, getting to hear Leia's theme when she's passing on um, or at times to inspire Ray um, was really meaningful to me. Um, and then, you know... I think that definitely the the biggest part is when um, when Chewie is mourning Leia, and the music with that scene meant a lot to me. Um, but that's really how I felt about it, I guess. Yeah, and we heard the Imperial March. I remember that. I mean, there's different familiar themes. I I don't recall much of the any of the new themes, and and usually what happens when I go to see a new star Wars movie, I immediately start listening to the soundtrack, but I didn't, I haven't with this one because I know my daughter wants to give me the CD for Christmas. Mm. And I didn't want it to feel like a soundtrack that I've listened to several times from Spotify or whatever. And then I get to see, Oh great. Now, now I got it on CD. So I've been saving it. So when I got the CD, I get really excited and I'll listen to it. So I'm not familiar with the music outside of the movie, but of course, as always, John Williams is the best. And, you know, this is really kind of sad. But, you know, as we got to the sequel trilogy, the one thing that ran through my mind most of this, the last few years has been, 
I hope he sees it to the end. I hope he lives to see it through to the end because yeah. I didn't want anybody else to write music, even though I like what we got in Rogue One and Solo. I mean, those guys did a great job, yeah. but I wanted Williams through the end of this. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And it, it, I think that at least the hope that we have is from what we've seen other people do for movies like Rogue One and Solo, that there is hope for the future that, you know, although this is John Williams last one, that it doesn't mean that the rest of Star Wars music is going to be bad. Um, it, it won't be John Williams, but it won't be bad is what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're, we're getting with the Mandalorian is fantastic right now. Um, yeah. You know, I think, the thing that I liked about this soundtrack is that um, he created one new theme, and it's this theme of, and I, I'm calling it the friendship theme, and it's this theme that plays with the scenes with Poe and Finn and Ray, and it really seems like it's a theme of friendship, and I really like that theme. I wish that the soundtrack was more complete because there's some moments that I really loved. Uh, There's some callbacks in the film version of the music that aren't on the soundtrack. So there's that moment where uh, Zori and uh, Poe are watching the, you know, the first order round up people. uh, And there's a theme that plays and it comes straight from episode two. And it's kind of this theme that you you heard play uh, on Camino, um, and it's and I like to call it kind of like this. It's this worry theme is like Obi Wan's kind of like trying to figure out what's going on, and it's just like this. I'm not. I shouldn't sing it, but anyway, <laughs> it, there's that theme that plays there, um, which I really loved, um, kind of coming back. And there are a few other times where some things like that happened. Um, the only thing I wish I would we I wish we could have had in this this trilogy I wish that Poe and Finn had their own themes and that they would have kind of been able to mature throughout the 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 movies um I think the reason maybe Poe doesn't specifically is because um Poe is not supposed to live um he was he was only saved uh late in the Force Awakens from you know staying dead uh, and so John Williams, you know, when you're writing themes for people, you know, they don't really have themes, but I just would have loved people like that to have their own themes so they would have matured, you know, just like Ray's theme does and Kylo's does. Um, so, but overall I, I liked the music. I think it was a nice wrap up to the film and I really enjoyed it in the film and I'm just hoping we'll get like a more complete version of the soundtrack, um, coming up. Uh, sometime because the the music as in the movie um, was even better than the presentation on the soundtrack. So, uh, well, we have talked for about two hours and 40 minutes so far, my friends. Ooh. And I think it is time for us to, and there's probably so much more we can say and that will be said in the conversations movie. But where do you guys come down on your ratings for Star Wars Episode Nine? The Rise of Skywalker. Oh my gosh. Uh, it's not my favorite Star Wars movie, but don't ask me where it ranks because I, I, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, I really enjoy it. Uh, I, I don't really know if there's any more I need to say about it that I haven't already said on here. Uh, I, I think it it it's a safe movie, but it brings new ideas, which I like. 
So, and it does feel like a prequel movie in a last sense, because when I, I, so, okay, this is what I do. I, I take my phone and I ask it to pick a number between one and eight when I want to watch a Star Wars saga movie <laughs> and then whatever number it says, I play it. So the other day I was watching attack of the clones. And as I was watching it, I thought, gosh, this kind of feels like the rise of Skywalker in the pacing and the movement of the different uh, locations and such. And you mentioned that earlier, Matt. So, um, so that's interesting to me uh, that the response from so many people really enjoy this movie, but maybe they don't like the prequels, but there's, something that's similar there in the pacing and the storytelling. But um, so, yeah, anyway, love seeing the new characters, the old characters. We got Han, Luke, Leia, and Lando, Chewie, C-3PO, and R2-D2. Maybe not all together, but they're all in this movie. And we've got all those voices of the Jedi. We got the Sith. We have Palpatine. We have Ray Poe and Finn together. I love them together. I want more movies with them together or a series or something, but all in all, I will give this uh four healthy Snokes out of five that you can use for future conquering of the galaxy. <laughs> Good rating system. Yeah. Uh, I was completely just, amazed by this movie it's now definitely in the top of all of the star wars movies for me um one of my favorites now at this point still not my number one because empire is always going to be my number one but um yeah I, i felt like just in particular because it brought in such new um ideas and pieces to the puzzle that we didn't know before um definitely the scene like i said with palpatine shooting force lightning to the galaxy was just incredible and uh and i like seeing that struggle with whether ray was going to be a skywalker or um how she was going to use the force and how she and kylo were going to pan out um there was just a, a whole lot in this movie that I love. And so I really just, although I have a little criticism here or there, maybe about the, like I said, the faces on a younger uh, Luke and Leia overall, it's still to me is a pretty near perfect movie. So I'm giving it a five out of five um, wayfinders because I thought that was a really great thing to put in this movie. And I just loved it. You know, we didn't we didn't talk about, but I, I'll mention here just so we'll have can say we talked about it. You know the the moment there in the movie that I think it, it, where it surprised me is where they you know brought back Han for the memory moment, and it, that was mm-hmm. another moment that that just it felt so right, it felt so good in the movie, um, and it also again this is a mo- moment where this movie made The Force Awakens a better movie for me, where Han's death never affected me in that film. But him being back with Ben in that moment made that moment better in that movie, and it made that moment a, a, a one where I was like tearing up because of the conversation that they had together, and it's just so well played between those two actors. Um, you know, this is by far not my favorite Star Wars movie. Um, you know, it would rank lower for me, and and really, it, it's it's because it's connected with the whole sequel trilogy, which. We already talked about, you know, it has all of these issues, but the way that this movie um, 
It's the best of the sequel trilogy. I think it did a decent job of wrapping up the entire Star Wars saga. And obviously, look, they did it. So I'm happy, though, with the way that it ended. And so, and I'm, I've enjoyed it every time I've seen it. I've enjoyed it more than the last. And that's all I could ask at this point, especially with the issues that I've just had in general with the entire sequel trilogy. And um, I will say in the moments where this movie, you know, kind of felt like I could see similarities between other films, it felt more like the areas where I felt like it, it had a, it was doing that Star Wars rhyming thing. Like, oh, well, that kind of happened in that movie, but it's, it's, you know, so, yeah, I just, it it felt good coming out of the movie the first time, and it's felt good every time coming out since, and, you know, for me being able to find a way to fit this all together in my head as a Skywalker story, it's been awesome. So, um, yeah, I'm really happy with it, and so in the end, I, I just, I can't be upset that I uh, with this movie um i i like it for what it is and i also like it in the end i think it 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 did a good job and so i'm excited to say i would rate this you know four out of five b-wings because i was so excited to see b-wings back in this film so <laughs> yes. um but with all of that and all the conversation we've had um bruce so great to have you back here in the 602 club where can we find you online if you- people want to catch up with you well, the, I wish they would because I'm on Twitter. I'm at Admiral underscore Rex. That's Admiral with the underline, then Rex. And you can find me talking about this movie and other Star Wars stuff on the Star Wars report. Uh, we recorded about three hours of reviews of The Rise of Skywalker today. And now I just did it again on this show. So. <laughs> Yeah, but I say different things on there, too, than what you've heard on here, because different topics come up with different people. So, uh, yeah, check that out. Uh, each hour is going to come out as a separate episode, so it's three episodes. And then, of course, I'm here on the network on Trek FM doing literary treks with Dan Gunther. And uh, then, of course, Live from the Edge when we have new live when we have, well, we do a live show when we have new Discovery episodes that come out. I do that with Brandy Chicola. And uh, of course, you can find me in the Babel Conference. Yes. And then for me as well, uh, you can find me in the Babel Conference, of course. And then when I'm not here on the 602 Club with Matt, uh, I do a couple of other shows. Um, you can find me on. Um, my show with uh, Teresa Delgado called Sabres and Spells. We actually uh, are going to be doing another Rise of Skywalker reaction show ourselves soon this week. So stay tuned for that. Uh, And then I also uh, am on a show once a month called Planet Leia on the Fanta Tracks Network, where myself and five other women from around the world talk about our perspectives on Star Wars. And then lastly, I usually do, I've taken a break lately, but need to do another one, uh, a segment called Fashion in Five for the Star Wars Report, uh, where I do a five-minute report on men's and women's Star Wars fashion updates. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bespin Bell. 
And you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Vera under the name MattRushing02. Uh, you can also find me uh, doing The Orb with Chris Jones talking about uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Uh, I am on the Nerd Party Network. I do two shows over there. One is called Aggressive Negotiations. I do that with John Mills. Uh, if you want to hear our thoughts about The Rise of Skywalker, uh, we actually have our immediate thoughts because we'd only seen the movie once. So definitely check that out. Uh, you can also find me uh, over there doing Owl Post with Drea Kaufman as we talk about Harry Potter. But we do that one chapter at a time. So we are in, at this point, we are in the Half-Blood Prince. And so it's great to be there. And then last but not least, you can find me doing cinema stories with my good friend Courtney as we talk about films, but through the lens of faith. And we want to say, though, thank you so much for joining us. And may the force be with you. Mm-hmm.